This episode of Russell Update is dedicated to the memory of Bray Wyatt and Terry Funk. Our thoughts and prayers are with their fans, friends, and families. What's up, people? Welcome to Wrestle Update. I'm Dylan Fox, and today we are going to have a very, very special episode because this is a, a direct idea of my co-host and friend, Delaney who's here. DCW, you brought it to us. You brought it to me. The people right now. <laughs> yeah, just like uh, Jeff Jarrett putting New Japan on pay-per-view, here I am to uh, debut GCW on Wrestle Update. Uh, hey, listen. The idea at the start was WWE and AEW, but there was no rule that said we can't talk about other promotions. Uh, you know, I mean, obviously, every promotion, whether it's in the big companies or the indie companies, they all have value. And especially this one, uh, GCW, if you're not aware of them, they are a company that has really gotten a lot of buzz over the years. Uh, and I've watched these shows talk about uh, clearly the deathmatch element is big. Like a big part of the company, even uh, not as much maybe as CZW in the old days where it was like super uh, prominent. This is prominent too, but they have a little bit of everyone. They're very in tune in Japan. They're kind of that successor to that ECW style. I think they uh, particularly want it to be that way to where they're clearly a successor to uh, ECW in the past and taking it to an even extremer level with more extreme level with the CZW stylings and uh, all kinds of uh, interesting people they bring in from all across the cu- the country. You may have heard that Moxley, uh, uh, John Moxley from AEW, had wrestled here before. They have a lot of different styles, a lot of lucha influence too on the shows. Again, very much similar to that ECW vibe, kind of. Uh, would you say that's the correct way to describe? Them? Yeah, like um, definitely the bastard child of ecw you know they've done so much like ecw branded stuff from just like merch bootlegs to even you know running hammerstein ballroom uh so they're very that's very much i feel like they're og inspo and all that um yeah they were okay so if anyone's listening and i'm wrong please feel free to correct me but to the best of my knowledge they started off in like 2015 when Nick Gage was still in prison, or I'm pretty sure, and Brett started it um, after leaving CZW to kind of build something for Nick to come back when he got out of jail. Their first show being like the um, inaugural Nick Gage Invitational. Um, back then, I'm pretty sure it was Brett and Danny DeMonto. Eventually, they split, and then that's when Danny started ICW No Holds Barred. But um, yeah, I would say around in 2019, Spring Break 3, Spring Break 2 was very, very like, I would say kind of what put them on the map initially in terms of national exposure with the um, 
PCO versus Walter match. I feel like that was the first time that one of their matches had like an actual effect on the landscape of wrestling with the whole, you know, this introduced Walter to a lot of crazy people. It sort of uh, introduced the concept of spring break and like this stoner fantasy wrestling book, like stoner fantasy, you know, wrestling show that was booked at 2 a.m. during WrestleMania weekend. Um, like you had Minoru Suzuki versus Matt Riddle that weekend, all that stuff. But um yeah, after that, I feel like they've just kind of been on that ascent, um, capitalizing at that Hammerstein Ballroom show a couple year ago or two years ago in January. Um, and then, yeah, I would say they kind of plateaued there. And since they've just been doing their own thing. But now, rather than, um, you know, North American stuff as much, uh, they're branching out a lot into international. They just did an exploding barbed wire death match in Tijuana. Um, you know, they've done multiple tours of Japan and they're going to be doing their own Karakuen Hall show for the first time in October. Um, they're in Australia this week. They're in England again pretty soon. So they travel, I would say, as much as any top you know, company does, if not more, um, which is pretty crazy for an independent. But uh, yeah, they're a traveling circus. <laughs> I, I, told, I mentioned before on the call, but to me, they're very much the American translation of DDT in terms of variety, whether it be comedy, uh, you know, violence, extreme violence, main event wrestling. Honestly, that might be the one thing GCW is significantly missing, but whatever. But yeah, they, they've always felt kind of like DDT to me. And I actually was at their collective weekend um at mania this year in la and them and ddt had a joint show and they just gel so well i think you know maybe not so much like the, the direct translation of the genres of wrestling but their mind about it their approach to it and how anything can really be wrestling right like the invisible man match at a spring break to uh yoshihiko at peter pan or whatever there's that love for the chaotic and the creative Yeah, and I think that that's a great point. You did mention it. I did see that show, actually, because I'd said before that I hadn't watched GCW in a long, long time, but I actually did watch that DDT show uh, with the GCW over the weekend, now that you bring it up. Uh, So I will say to everybody right now that I really was not a, a fan of GCW coming in at all. I haven't watched it in a long time, like I said, outside of that WrestleMania weekend shows, because... They have branched off, I will say, on the WrestleMania shows where you have all kinds of different styles. Uh, Bloodsport is a GCW adventure, you know, part of that collective, you know, for the culture and all of that. They did a lot of great shows um, and made them kind of a tradition for WrestleMania weekend over the years. And obviously Spring Break was kind of like, yeah, that was a revelation when it started. And it's just continued to go on and grow every year. But long story short, not to over talk everybody, but. I'm not a, like I'm not super familiar with any storylines or anything really going on here. Uh, you know, I've just I, I wanted to do the show because Nello wanted to, to be honest with you. And uh, then I ended up uh, getting both of these shows and checking them out. And I have to say that I there's some stuff where I thought, OK, yeah, this is what I expected. But then there was some stuff where I was like, hey, uh, like this is uh, by the end of it, I came in with a better grasp of the company, I would say. 
and maybe my own expectations were kind of low, maybe you could say, but by the end of it, I enjoyed myself more than I thought I would, in all honesty. Uh, so I got to give them a lot of credit right off the off the gate here. Uh, this is, of course, we're talking about GCW Homecoming. Uh, two shows, uh, they, they took place from Jersey, uh, Atlantic City. You had Emil J. and Dave Prezak. I really had no idea Prezak was on these shows, to be honest with you. But before I, 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 I knew about Emil J. and Prezak, somebody I've known and respected for so many years. Uh, obviously, he was kind of like the mastermind behind Shimmer, which is uh, the pre, you know was the preeminent women's company in America. You know, American Joshi, they they called it. I brought in all kinds of cool people from then, and and you see it right away on the show here. Uh, you know, the this whole outfit when it comes to GCW, it's very different from your mainstream companies, whether it's your AEW or WWE, just right away, just the production of it, uh, pretty much. But it's also different to maybe like Evolve was, you know, a company that I followed for a long time, an indie company, back in kind of that golden era, so to speak, of the indies. It's really got its own vibe to it, and that's kind of what I – uh, was looking for going in. I was like, okay, when I think of GCW, I'm thinking, and kind of like DDT, what you said as well, too. I'm not necessarily going towards there for, you know, uh, Arisa Nakajima and, and Sari <laughs> that, I, that I watched over the weekend, which was an absolutely fantastic match. If you have any interest in Japanese wrestling, please watch that match. <laughs> I think it's so good. But uh, I'm not going there for that. I'm going for vibes at the end of the day. That's what they specialize <laughs> in. That's what that's what they do. That's how I looked at them going in. But right when you get into the show, I think you are in this world of GCW right away. If you're a new viewer like I was, or a new-ish viewer, not a new viewer really, but a returning one, a lapsed fan, I guess <laughs> you, you could say, they got you right away. And who better to, to really represent the GCW spirit? Then Maki Ito, uh, speaking of <laughs> Japanese wrestlers. Uh, as we started off the first show here, uh, we get right into the action pretty much. It's a uh, DDT specialty match. You want to talk about DDT crossover? We have the universal champion in our midst uh, here because we had Maki Ito and Nick Gage uh, teaming up against uh, Matt Cardona and Steph Delander. Uh, everybody knows Cardona was like Zack Ryder a long time ago. Uh, Steph also had a run in, in NXT like not that long ago as like Persia, Persia, Persia Perota, and they, they're kind of like a team on the indies. Uh, how long has this whole deal been going on with these two? Because right? I know – I remember when Cardona made his debut, they teased it was John Moxley. He hit the Death Rider, and everyone was like, that's John Moxley, and then he pulled the hood off, and it was him. Uh, and it got like a huge reaction. And Cardona, I've always looked at him as more like a promoter, like all, you know, like a self-promoter than like a pure wrestler. Not that I don't think he's terrible or anything, but I just I've always really vibed with him more. It's like I respect this guy for how good he is at the social media game. Uh, not just somewhere. I mean, uh, I mean, I like him as a wrestler, too. But same thing with Brooks in DDT, where I think. Of him, man, this guy's so smart when it comes to promoting himself uh, on there more than anything in wrestling. And um, Ito is just nuts, <laughs> pretty much here. Uh, so when you get into this match, I was thinking, wow. And the first thing we saw here, speaking of that vibe I told you about, immediately the first thing that happens is Cardona 
uh, he grabs the mic and he says, shut the fuck up to everybody <laughs> on there. So I, I let you know that this isn't like a, a sanitized product uh, pretty much. Uh, then they're like, they're talking, he was talking about how they're like the deathmatch kings or whatever. <laughs> like, yeah. And it's very funny. Like, this is a very easy heel act to do. Somebody who's clearly not known, like Nick Gage is one of the deathmatch dudes. And Cardona is not. So for him to claim he's like the king of the deathmatch is an easy heat uh, here. And I thought he played his role really well uh, overall as kind of like the heel character here. I mean, this match had a little bit of everything. There was light tubes. There was the pizza blade, <laughs> the, the pizza cutter, whatever was there. Um, there was some thumbtacks in there. It's a man. They had everything in this match. I was like, wow, this is the opening match on the show. What have I signed up for? <laughs> was kind of my thought after this. But uh, what did you think here, being a GCW aficionado? <laughs> um, this it's such a smart opener. Uh, Maki Death Kill. I like this is a very good representation of like the spirit of GCW in terms of like, hey, we're gonna take two completely. You know, like opposing things, right? Um, like Minoru Suzuki and Orange Cassidy or Maki Ito and Nick Gage. And we're going to put them together. And like it creates gold every time or not. I should not say every time. Uh, but it's just this whole relationship between them has been super fun. Like just a treat. This is this is the real MJF Adam Cole storyline that people deserve. Um I don't know. It's it's also like there's a lot of um, like Maki and GCW still feels so different than Maki in other companies. Um, and I think Toru as well. Like some when some of these wrestlers come into GCW, they just like don these different personas. They're like not different, but sort of just like lean into like heavier parts of their character that I just fucking really like where it's way more like excess all that stuff um i mean this entire match is pretty much centered around the double pizza cutter spot and like nick gage handing off the pizza cutter to maki it's just it's so cute it's it has the energy of like the big daddy and little sisters from bioshock or like uh in kick ass what isn't it big daddy and the the girl or hit kick girl or whatever but yeah yeah it's like that um the the entrance with the Ghostbusters car is unreal. Cardona, I, I totally see what you're saying, too, with like, um, I would call him like a mind in pro wrestling, like him, Brooks, Stefan, like these are people like Effie is someone else I would think of as well. Um, for me, yeah, Brooks, I think more about like the wrestling, but Effie and, and Cardona, I definitely look at them in their careers more outside of the ring than inside. Um and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, but yeah, they I think everyone played their parts here so well. Like this is a match that is completely for the fans and attendance. Like you're getting two of your number one baby faces in the company. You know, Gage is definitely nearing the end of his career with the announcement of War Games in October of Freedoms versus GCW and it being two days. I could see Gage um, retiring the next day against Kasai. Um so I'm very grateful that we still get these fun little things um, as we as we near the end. But yeah, like this is such a I gave this a three star three stars, super basic run of the mill. Like this is your house show main event. Um, and it crushed it in that sense as an opener for a pay-per-view. <laughs> 
was there any like additional purpose to the Ghostbusters entrance because they came out driving in the car like you said uh, and they pop out with the jumpsuits on uh, with the Ghostbusters logo on it and I was just like what is this all about <laughs> at, at first uh, in there was there was there a reason behind it or was it just like ah fuck it we're gonna be fucking Ghostbusters on the show like Cardona I mean Cardona's a huge geek um I want to say they were like the the deathmatch busters or something. I don't. Yeah, remember. I think that's what I think yeah. that's what they said on the mic. He was like, "We're the deathmatch busters." Yeah, <laughs> no. it's just total sh- like I can't claim to know if there's a storyline reason, but it just feels like Cardona being Cardona, which is great. Um, and like it, it gave it that really like it was a sight to see to have like that sort of special entrance as well. Yeah, and it was. It made it feel big uh, and i thought they did a, a good job i actually kind of like some of the ito and step spots uh, ito is such like a burst of energy on these shows mm-hmm. i i really enjoyed their work uh, and they did get the win when she hit that the headbutt obviously uh on there so um as a match i'm not sure how to grade this to, to be <laughs> it's like I was I, I was trying to watch these in the GCW mindset. I feel like it's its own universe, <laughs> not necessarily descri- defined by my version of wrestling almost. But for this show, I thought it was a pretty, like, really well done opener for what they brought to the table here. Uh, like you said, totally good for the fans. <laughs> Everybody played their roles well. And uh, I, would, I would like to see more of Ito, actually, in this. She's somebody I remember used to think, uh, I'll have a lot more to say about the Japanese talent, obviously, on this show. I'm more familiar with a lot of them. <laughs> but five years ago, I thought, man, Ito is so overrated. Uh, she sucks. Like, well, you know, she's not a good wrestler at all. But I think she still kept her charm that she's always had, which has always been there over the years. But she's really grown as a performer. I think she's actually, like, really good now. Uh, and I thought she really sh- shined here in this kind of match and probably had a lot of fun. In this crazy ass match, <laughs> pretty much. So, uh, what happened next was the complete opposite of a death match. You had Leon Slater versus Alec Price in a a singles match here. Um, Alec Price, he is obviously uh, you know an indie wrestler from the U.S. and Leon Slater is a U.K. guy. I know he's known in England. Both these guys very young, uh, you know, young indie guys pretty much like high flyer type of dudes here um i thought that this match was pretty fun actually i thought these guys for being so young i don't know if they've worked a lot together but it felt like they had really good chemistry with each other here um i thought that uh, for a quick fast-paced again kind of bringing that ecw vibe you would have the crazy match with your new jack or whatever and then you'd have this high-flying type of exciting match uh, with people there. So I thought it really captured the vibe that they were going for, and I thought it was a good match. The ending was uh, a little lackluster to me, um, where they did it a lot with the... They were like having a strike battle, and then Slater hit his move, but it, it felt like it was just like, okay, time to go home, and we're going home right away. <laughs> um. Damn. Okay. Word. I, for some reason, okay, I will say, like, I know this isn't the finish to this match, but I remember, I'm picturing, like, Slater hitting Effie with, like, the Swanton 450, and I was like, oh, yeah, okay, wow, different match. Um, 
I like this. Alex Price, Alec Price is um, IWTV champion now, which is pretty wild. Yeah. Um, and he's someone who's really risen up. Northeast Beast, Prince City o, or Prince City OG. Price, what, oh my God, I can't even talk. But um, he's been really good and beyond. So I, I'm always excited to see him when he's on GCW. Um, and at first, I got really nervous because when I got to see him at spring break, within two minutes, he had injured himself and was like being carried out. And I totally thought he had injured himself at the beginning of this again. Um, I think they did that one spot to the outside and it looked like, I don't know, but it took a while for him to get back in. I think it was like his back or ribs. I don't know, but I was, it, it was kind of like that Naito Ibushi feel for me in terms of just like, oh God, please don't hurt him, you know, because it, for me, I'm like, it's, it's his biggest night. It's Atlantic City. It's the showboat. It's homecoming. He's going to push his body. Um, <laughs> But they really turned it around. And again, I, I don't know if that's the blending of, of the real life and, and the work or whatever, but I thought that they turned that situation into a positive. Um, I think Leon Slater just turned 18 or is still like under 18 or something. I've only seen him a couple times in GCW, but goddamn, yeah, like as a high spot match, they both like, I don't know, it feels something like uh that you'd see between like Swerve and AR Fox 10 years ago, almost like just that style of like those sharp, like I'm pretty sure price does those same, like those kicks, right? Like those almost like, um, yeah, that was near the finish where they were doing the, the yeah. kick battle. Yeah. Yeah. Like those snipe, like those head sniping kicks. I don't, I can't even think of the technical term. Um, but yeah, no. And it's, it's unfortunate. Like I, I think that there was a story with price's injury, um, but that, yeah, they just didn't quite capitalize on that or emphasize it enough in the finish. But this was yeah. honestly maybe my favorite match of the night outside of the outside of a couple of the death matches in terms of just like street wrestling. Yeah. Um, this was probably my favorite. Yeah, I, I agree with that, actually, <laughs> when you look at the night one card for sure. Uh, but props to these uh, young guys really going all out. I uh, always have a lot of respect. I, I wrestled before I was 18, too. Uh, so, uh, obviously, I will always be super biased uh, for that mm-hmm. as well. Um, so, shout out to those guys. Uh, impressed me a little bit here. I liked what I saw between both guys, especially Slater. Uh, really looked good. Uh, the next match was where I realized, uh, okay, we're back to GCW. <laughs> like here, uh, because we had... Uh, Alley Catch, Dark Sheik, and Effie, uh, known as, according to Cage Match, Thrussy here. <laughs> so you not only have Bussy, you have Thrussy now, uh, which is a new term not in the medical dictionary or even the slang medical di- dictionary, I would say. Uh, they took on the Lucha team of Crazy King and Los Macizos, uh, Ciclope and Miedo Extremo, um, I've known, I knew all about the Lucha guys. I've seen them a bunch of times, especially Miedo Extremo is like one of my favorite uh, Lucha Extremo mm-hmm. type of wrestlers. This was not anything to to go to the stuff he's done. This was like a comedy match, uh, more or less. For, so, kind of bringing your DDT theme here, I'm guessing these would kind of be your XP's uh, pheromones in, in, in uh, GCW here, pretty much. Yes, and when, so... <laughs> <laughs> this is like 
I'm cracking up because Thrusty is ha- has its own page on Cage Match. Like, you know yes. when you go on indies and some of them just don't have the hyperlinks? Like, yes. I'm dying that Thrusty <laughs> has a fucking hyperlink. Um, why yeah. doesn't Dr. Redacted, though? Just for Dr. Redacted. Um, yeah, so they are Bussy and then they are Thrusty. And then as we see on night two... With the addition of a fourth person, they become Thrunt. Um, so there is a mathematics to their faction. But, yeah, they're definitely the pheromones. And um, I don't know. I hated this, honestly. <laughs> but I was uh, hoping you would sell me on this, but not agree with me. <laughs> no, no. Um, hey, I calls it how I sees it, okay? I gave Leon Slater and Alec Price a 3.5. And it's because I'm, I'm like very, I swear, like with my ratings, I try not to put like that much thought into it. It's way more fun, yeah. right? And um, this was just bad, though. It, like it, I completely understand like a lucha comedy match. I understand the pheromones type match, but like they didn't really do either. And they didn't like, especially to see Crazy King back with Miedo and Cyclope was so badass because I have not gotten to see that in a long time in GCW. Like, I think it's been a long, a while since they teamed up or, or whatever. Could be totally wrong. Um, so I was really hoping for a hardcore style match because, um, I mean, Sheik, Effie, Ali, they're all great hardcore wrestlers as well. And I was expecting almost a, um, like a comedy match that sort of breaks out into something more. But, you know, so Cyclope has like his own Naito shirt where he comes out and he wrestles in fucking beats headphones the entire time and a shirt and he wears sunglasses. So he was wearing all three in this match. If he takes off the shut sunglasses, you know, it's going to he's actually going to wrestle. And then if he takes off the headphones, he might be falling off a balcony. Um, And if he takes off the shirt, it's like this is 300 light tubes. Right. He was, I swear to God, I think he was wearing a fucking hoodie in this one, too. It was like, (laughs) I can't tell you one thing that happened in this match. It was just so, so bad. Um, Like, it was just, uh, it was pretty much like, when you think of like a bad independent wrestling match, it's like a bunch of characters who in certain other ways could function, but here nothing gels and it just all kind of like slops together into one big mess. So, yeah. Uh, Yeah, it was, it was an experience. (laughs) I guess some would say they did do a little bit of like, like I said, the pheromones type of spots uh, in the match uh, where it wasn't as direct as that, obviously (laughs) like the pheromones are not whole different <laughs> a realm i think than everyone else uh but they did some stuff you know they kind of like threw ally into uh chic i think it was uh like with the bronco buster and then uh she kissed cyclope at one point uh to escape <laughs> like out of some move that was going on it was just a crazy match <laughs> going on there um but the, the match didn't end uh she hit the top rope leg drop uh for the win so thrusty got the win here uh the los macizos take doing the job maybe that's why maybe that's why king was like i'm gonna make sure everyone knows like i'm not watching i'm not listening i've got five <laughs> layers of clothes on i'm not even gonna try here and you got to respect that as a worker at the very least i just thought it was weird pacing after <laughs> like the first two matches i thought were good representations of what you would want from this gcw indie show 
And then you get this, and it kind of, like, ground things to a halt, almost. Um, and the, the next match was Alex Zane and Tony Deppin in a singles match here. Uh, they mentioned that Tony was, like, injured. Uh, I didn't know if that was a story or what uh, they were telling, but he's he's been out for a while, and he came back from injury uh, pretty much here. Uh, this was interesting, because obviously I'm familiar with both of these guys. If you're not aware of Alex Zane's uh, Japanese run, he is super over in Japan, and this, yeah. made, this this made me love him. The reason he's over is his love of Taco Bell. Uh, I've suddenly appealed to the fans in Japan. Uh, he's one of the few people Taco Bell Japan actually follows on, on Twitter slash X, and all of his moves. Listen, I am literally I'm drinking a Baja Blast as we speak, which is the name <laughs> of his move. So I will give big shouts out to that here. Uh, although he lost in this match, ultimately, uh, they kind of did a flash win with Deppin here. I guess they were wanting Deppin to win, but not a definitive one, uh, more or less. But uh, this was, it was definitely a lot better than the last match, <laughs> I'll say for sure, these two are. But uh, what did you think here? Um, okay, sort of like the last match before it, maybe like a big symptom of them like not getting to that next level for me is it's it's a cool match on paper. But once they were in the ring, it didn't feel like there was any real purpose or like intention is or like idea, clear ideas to what the match was there to do. Um, like Tony Deppin's return match against Alex Zane, like on a on a GCW show, this is like a main event pretty much, you know, a couple of years ago. And now it's almost sort of lost. Um, I haven't seen Zane wrestle much this year. Like I feel he's been injured as well or taking some time off. I know he did like a couple dates in Japan, but he wasn't in this year's Super Juniors, was he? No, no, he he was. Yeah. And um, so it it was like really, really exciting to have like two of your biggest names in GCW back. And I was just like, damn, like, (laughs) I don't know. It just never hit that next level. There was some great, like great little work between them here and there. But like you said, flash pin and um, afterwards, like, Zane just sort of gone, and Deppin fights Brayden Tool the next night. And it's one of those matches where it feels like it should have been something special. And, like, there was, like, I can't tell you. I, I liked Deppin's promo when he first came back, um, when he grabbed the mic. It was just a main reason for that is I've never seen or heard Tony Deppin say something nice before. Um, so that was cute. And then he like celebrated with his daughter yeah, after yeah. that too. Yeah. And again, but it's like after like the sort of like chicken shit flash yeah. win or whatever. And it's just, it, it's, it, okay. Not to jump ahead, right. To, yeah. uh, to the all in main event, but sometimes when they have these ideas, but there's just no sense between them, like, Oh, we're going to give him the baby face promo before he's going to do the baby face celebration with his daughter after, and he's going to win with like the heel. And I'm just like, yeah, yeah the, che- the heroic cheater with the daughter. <laughs> that, that was yeah. So- and it's like, um, it's like the five minutes thing when there's no, nothing threatened by time stoppage anyway. But um, like, I like these guys. I'm happy Tony Deppin's back, but you know, sort of through all of night one, it just felt like there was no stakes to a lot of these things for the most part. And I mean, that's not to say most indie shows do, but GCW has definitely cemented their own, you know, big four 
I would say with your Fight Club weekend in October, which is typically like your, um, you know, war games, they have homecoming, they have collective. Um, and then, you know, so this is like their mania style show. But yeah, it was just um, it, it felt empty in the end. I kind of feel that way about a, a lot of Deppin's matches in, in general. I mean, I've seen these guys. These are two I've definitely seen a bunch before. Um, not that I think Zayn is like a top-tier wrestler, but I I think he's got a charm to him. Deppin feels like, hey, I've watched a lot of Japanese wrestling, and I'm going to wrestle like that. Like I, I don't really get any sense of him kind of in a lot of his matches. Um, not mm. that he's he's bad. I just feel like he's like, you know, he's doing stuff that he saw other people do more than he's doing what he does. Almost like that's how I always feel about him when I watch him wrestle. Uh, and that's kind of how I felt about him here. But again, uh, I will definitely take this over over what we saw before with a thrusty match. Uh, for <laughs> sure. I, I would say that. Um, and they, they were kind of to me, this was like a basic maybe warm up type of match for Deppin coming back to give him the benefit of the doubt a little bit where, you know, mm-hmm. like I said, he, he did his, you know, quote unquote, strong style offense with the kicks and everything <laughs> like that. Uh, Zane did do some good uh, uh, stuff, uh, like uh, some flying stuff, including one of my old moves, uh, the the Harlem hangover at one point uh, here, the flipping leg drop. That was pretty cool. Shout out. Anybody who does my moves in any situation will automatically get plus one from me. Uh, so <laughs> any, any wrestlers listen to this, do like I'll send you a list of my moves to do, and I will shout it out uh, when you do it. Uh, no one's stupid enough to do the the, the Mexican stretch buster, except for Jungle Kiona uh, as well, which made me love her so much. Uh, which is the, the real version, too, of the Kiniku buster, not the Samoa Joe version where you land on the back. you got to land ass first uh, <laughs> on your own ass to do it to do it the right way uh what a great move nobody did that on this show but i would have loved if they did uh so then again the pacing of the show is just all over the place uh, once again uh where we went from this normal like you know japanese influenced junior heavyweight style match to a dog collar match a tag team dog collar match at that with Joe, you're already echoing my feelings right there uh, when you see this. Joey Janela and Sawyer Wreck versus Charles Mason and Pero. <laughs> okay, so I have not seen anything of Charles Mason before. <laughs> the other, the other oh, thing I have seen. Fuck. And I've not been impressed. It's one of those things that enrages me when people wrestle. It's like, you are not Katsunari Murakami, dude. He's the only person in the world that should be allowed to wrestle in a suit. <laughs> this, I was just so, like, confused. By, I mean, sorry, wait, he always does this? Like, this wasn't yes, just a... <laughs> he always wrestles in this dumbass, like, create, a, create an office character. Um <laughs> Dude, he's like incel MJF. He's like Patrick Wasteman. Um, like I just Patrick Wasteman from American Psycho. Yeah, it was, a, it was my yeah. bad pun on Bateman. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> American Psycho joke we're going with right now. Yes, like he. Okay. okay. So earlier this year, he was in like what felt like a year long feud with Effie and Ali Catch, primarily Ali Catch. They did a thirty fucking minute 
Hell in a Cell match, him and Ali catch. Oh, no. Dude, it was, it's so bad. Like, it really feels like if, oh, my God. Like, like if a scientist was able to clone MJF by, like, dropping his DNA onto 4chan or something. Like, he's just the worst. It's, like, so (laughs) out of the barrel, like... I'm this little evil guy. And I just, I fucking do not like Charles Mason. Um, It's yeah. There's nothing. (laughs) I'll say this. When I first saw him, he kind of intrigued me a little bit because, because of that, like, Oh, like this is different. Like a, a a businessman in the world of GCW. It's like, okay, this is the complete (sighs) opposite of what you would expect. Obviously the rest, then the wrestling happened and yeah. (laughs) Okay. He's if Loki tried to play MJF. That's what it is. (laughs) That is not a good idea in in, in any way. You have to like, for a character like this, I don't know. It's just one of those ones where you're like trying to insert, you know, because if you took him out of the the in-ring attire, it becomes very different, right? But it's like this insertion of this non-wrestling entity into wrestling. But then he's doing wrestling moves. And I feel like there was one match where it's like you can tell he's wearing knee pads or something. And it's just all this weird conflicting shit. And, okay, I get it. I totally support the vision of, like, you know, you want to try to create a boundary-pushing character. You want to do something different. You want to present yourself different. But when all of it feels so antithetical to the art and the craft in a way that doesn't breed new um like it's not like he's creating punk music from rock right it's okay. just like it, it's just grating like it just doesn't line up for me um he's lost every big feud um so like going into this match like i, I don't watch every gcw show anymore but you know they have the little the <laughs> promo videos right and there's such yeah. little story here as well and one of the biggest like symptoms of these large GCW shows are stupidly long Joey Janela matches. Like, <laughs> and Joey Janela is another person. Like I would say, um, you know, we were discussing Effie and Cardona. Like I think of him way more as like a mind in wrestling. Yeah. Um, and he's had some really great matches, but he's not someone I always look at for work rate, right? Way more of a mind. And outside of like the finish of this, I just was not a fan again. It was way too long. A double dog collar match in the middle of a show is just a lot to ask. And then it all gets centered around the um, what is it? The the lift, the stair lift thing. Yeah, or? yeah, this constru- yeah, this lift thing. That, that was the sentence. They were about to lift him up, and they were like, "Okay, we got, we've got to, we got to throw in the towel or whatever. We got to give up uh, because they." I think it was Pero tried to put Janela on it, but they fought against it. Uh, and then, like, basically they were going to lift Pero and Mason up, but then they were like, that, we, we we can't do this. This is going to kill us. So we have, we have to not do that. We have to give up. But there was a lot of stuff, like especially with the chairs and stuff like that um, in the match. That was really more than anything, uh, the, like one of the main weapons. Uh, mm. There was a door in there as well uh that they did um they were doing stuff everybody was bleeding i mean like almost right away like it was like everyone had the crimson mask uh pretty much um i thought the part 
that was so weird was when they started off uh, early on, they actually tried to do like technical wrestling, like chain. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> I, was like, what? I, was like, what? I was like, what the hell is this? Oh, oh, fucking scene. Imagine you're on the street and a guy like Charles Mason comes yeah. up to you and then he tries to fucking put you in an Ujigatami or something. Like fucking just tries to like put you on the mat and full guard. I'm like, what are you doing, dude? Like, so it's just... like, so it, this character, because like I said, when I first saw him, I was kind of intrigued by him. <laughs> like, oh, this is something really different, like for GCW, something I wasn't expecting. So is his character like an MJF, like you know, try to offend everybody, like type of character, like on the promos, or is he just like, I'm in a suit, <laughs> like that, that's all I need. So it's like um, his promos are always like MJF, like uh, boundary pushing, but yeah. not in the sense of I feel like trying to upset the audience, but just like try for the sense of like being edgy, because he's not so much like you know, calling people out in the crowd or like he's, he's trying to be very evil and like blah, blah, blah. So it's less of like, Oh, all you fat people in Atlantic city. He's going to be like, um, I killed someone last night in Atlantic city. <laughs> You're like, what? what? But, um, yeah, like, and he, he always, it's one of those characters that tries to like present the threat, right. Of like, he's going to actually kill you, right. Like he'll choke people out with plastic bags. He's, you know, like the spot where it's like, you know, they, they stab the turnbuckle with like the knife, like Wheeler, screwdriver. It's like, what are your intentions in this athletic ring, sir? (laughs) And, um, Oh, so that's why that uh, Patrick Bateman stuff comes from. Yeah, and you know what? Maybe he would really succeed in Impact. Now that I'm saying this, and that's <laughs> not even supposed to be mean, but like, just go do something. Like, it, none of the reality supports it. It's just, um, like I said, it's just conflicts. He feels like one of those characters from a different movie, and none of it lines up. And like, he's always trying to do so much. I don't know, acting and all this stuff. And again, like it's, it really sticks out on a GCW show because he tries to play it so serious, but like yeah. he's wrestling in a, in a suit. Kind of like what I said with Devin, this sounds like, Oh, I saw this in a movie. So I'm going to do it in my wrestling character. And it's like, ah, like, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. And the that's not, there were, the wrestling quality of this match was very low in, in general yeah. at the end of the day, regardless of whatever you want to say. I'm not going to point the finger at any one of them. I think they're all a little to blame in, in their own ways. But uh, that is interesting that there's a character like this uh, on this show. I can't say I'm interested, but it is at least something, I would say. But we got to the scramble match next because that's another that's always been like something i've associated with gcw like mm-hmm. five six seven guys in a match and they're gonna just do crazy stuff uh so we got a lot of guys here uh some foreigners and also some gcw regulars <laughs> you got um jimmy lloyd shane mercer cole radrick Ares, commander gringo loco ninja mac and dante leone here uh, so uh, Dante Leon and Ninja Mac both uh, wrestle in Noah as well in Japan. So they have so crazy Japan runs. Uh, Ninja Mac's gotten really over uh, with the fans actually there. 
Dante Leon hasn't, so unfortunately for him. But uh, Commander Ares, obviously Lucha Mainstains, Grigon Loco, a longtime veteran. And then you've got Jimmy Lloyd and Shane Mercer and Cole Radrick, who are GCW guys. So you have a little bit of everybody here, uh, you know, eight men in one match. What did you think of this? Because this, again, this is kind of what I consider a GCW staple here. And, uh, yeah. This was a good scramble match. Not a great GCW scramble match, though. I think on night two, when we talk about the the four three-way tag match, that to me is a great GCW scramble. They very much, like, if any old, like, PWG heads remember, like, those, you know, Bola, like, 10-man tags we used to get, like, that's what it is. It's just total insanity. It's, um like... <laughs> the, like how i feel like half the matches sometimes is them just trying to line up these absolutely fucking ridiculous like moves where it's like you know um like we'll see a night two with like the massive destroyer sequence like yeah. so much of it is just like move set up and ball and it, it, it really just feels like kids walking up to a wall and just throwing like massive fucking paint balloons at it and just trying to see what they can do. Um, it's fun. Like what I enjoyed about this one is kind of seeing like a little bit um, of the growth just in characters, right? Yeah. Like commanders with triple A now, like Gringo Loco is still Gringo Loco. Radrick, I'm like, he's like a deathmatch guy now. And then for me, like Dante Leon and Ninja Max, seeing them do their spots in this and then remembering like them in local wrestling and GCW versus Loco from like a couple years back or whatever. It's just like crazy. And um, I don't know. It feels like AFI playing chain reaction in the sense of like, you know, these guys are on a much bigger stage now, but as the title suggests, they still come home. So you still get all your weird and wild moves. Um, I'm happy Gringo Loco didn't die. And yeah, I, I did it. Jimmy won this, right? Yeah, I was shocked. Okay. By that. Uh, he's the one who by far did the leak. <laughs> That's a Jimmy Lloyd, dude. That's the best part. And But the crowd loved it. Like when he won, like the day went nuts. <laughs> with his victory uh, here, like you said, the worst person, or not bad, I want to say the worst, but the one who did the least <laughs> by far. Um, listen, Shane Mercer was in this match, right? Well, I didn't imagine that because on cage matches says he wasn't, but I distinctly remember him doing a moonsault to the outside. Yes. Okay. Was this the match? Again, see, because it's hard because I'm like, okay, there's two scramble matches, but in one of them, he tried to do the fucking uh, the assault press or whatever the yeah. one where it's the backwards moon salt yeah and he didn't get it and then yeah. he was like no we're going up higher brother and he just walked up the turnbuckle and i was like oh my god he's getting his shit in uh I, <laughs> so I, that was did i just dream him being in this match because i feel like he was but it maybe no. it was the second night because catch match says he wasn't but i feel like he was did i um, did i dream this no uh, i am I, i'm super positive he was in yeah in, yeah like either me or cage match is wrong, and, and you know you normally cage match is pretty accurate, but I don't know. I feel like I feel like he was in here, so um, you know I I remember him, and I remember him impressing, like being impressed by him. I was like, man, this guy's this guy's got something. Uh, everybody did good here in this match, actually. Like to be honest with you, I thought pretty well outside. Like I said, Lloyd did the worst, but his his win went, it, you know, drove the crowd nuts pretty much. <laughs> oh, worked out pretty well. 
I think this is the best way to use somebody like a Dante Leon is like put him in this crazy match, let him do his spots and let him not do something you have to really nothing too, you know, complicated uh, pretty much just do your spots like don't try and wrestle any kind of psychology because we saw that in Japan. Uh, him and Hayata had a really terrible <laughs> junior title. Oh, my God. Wait, wait, wait. This is our first disagreement, so I just want to, like, say hell yeah. Um, I love that match. <laughs> that was my okay. favorite Hayata match I've seen. <laughs> Hayata and Dante Leon? Are you sure? Because, listen, I, lo- I love the Ninja match and Hayata match. I thought that was one of Hayata's best. I love it, too. Hayata and Dante Leon, they brought in, like, the tables and everything, right? So I remember people on Cage Match hated it, and I was like, I love this. So oh, yeah. I think I gave it like a 3.75. So I'm just I'm happy to know we disagree in some places. I know, and we will. <laughs> I'm not hating on you for it at all. I like disagreements because I, I I would like being wrong. I wish somebody would tell me, no, nah, Mercer wasn't in that match. Cage Match got got it right because you know here's my philosophy: when you're wrong, it gives you an opportunity to learn and grow. Uh, at the end of the day, so you know you can't be right all the time. But yeah, I just remember that. I poor, poor Hisame, who's like, and I, I love her very much, but she is always towing the line for Noah, pretty much. I know, no matter what happens, we'll always be on the company side. But even that one was like, this match was not up to the standard of Junior. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, man, like, this match really let everybody down. But not you. You are the Dante Leon respector on this show right now. Is is that true? Are you a Dante, Dante Leon fan? Yeah, I'm a heat seeker at heart. What can I say? That's his finisher, right? The heat seeker? Yeah. No, <laughs> yeah. yeah, the thing he does, which obviously uh, everybody kind of knows now. Uh, hey, listen. Say what you want about him, but when you get co-opted by an NXT wrestler, that is when you know you've made it at the end of the day. Uh, the, the end seeker. Uh, I've looked up his name. That's what it is. Yeah, I'm an end seeker till the end. So. <laughs> when do we, we get to the end? <laughs> Sorry, I don't know why I leaned into the microphone for that one. <laughs> to be more dramatic, and I like that you – that's a very you know cinematic move you just made there to make yourself more dramatic. I appreciate that. Have you ever seen Ninja Mac under the mask, by the way? No. Dude, okay, so he when he first came into GCW because they were doing the Texas shows, yeah. and goddamn, this is when Gage was still champion before he dropped it to um, Cardona, like after that 730 days or when so or when he dropped it to Ricky Shane Page. Yeah. Um so he fought Alley Catch in Texas, and Ninja Mac was on it, I think. It's like 2019 or 20. And, dude, he looks like John Wayne Murdoch. And I always <laughs> forget that, but he's just like a little redhead southern boy. And it's always so funny. He's got like a billy goat beard. And um, I always forget that. So, And then I'm like, damn, dude, he is like that. He's like Midwest Chuck Norris, you know? Little badass. I like Ninja back a lot. Me too. Yeah. He is. He's one of those guys where the excess works so well. Like, because anytime he stops flipping, I'm like, that's it. And then he does three more. And I'm like, oh, he's got me again. The devil. <laughs> he's just so cool. <laughs> Give it up to Ninja back. <laughs> you, you never know when he's going to stop flipping. Uh, you could, It's unpredictable. But. Yeah, this is another match that, like, 
in the context of GCW, this scramble match pretty much worked, and everybody looked good in it pretty much. They gained something from it. The next match, this was actually my favorite match of the whole show, uh, the, the one coming up, uh, which was, in fact, for the ultra-violent title. Rina Yamashita defending against Takeshi Sasaki. Freedoms has come to America. I mean, they've been here for a long time, and we're about to see the title, <laughs> the actual title itself for the next match. But uh, I thought this was like a really strong death match. In general, even with it being intergender, um, they just worked so well with each other. They started off with uh, there was barbed wire doors here, <laughs> doors with barbed wire on them, which I just love the idea of this. It's like we're not just going to have a door. We're going to wrap the whole door in barbed wire. There's no logical purpose for this in any situation other than <laughs> a death match match here, uh, pretty much. Um, they came in with the 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 light tubes and things like that. Uh, Yamashita smashed him w- with one, carved his head into it. This was crazy. Uh, this match here. Uh, obviously, it's something. If you're a fan of any, you know, deathmatch type of scene in Japan, you've seen a lot of this stuff before. But I, I will give you a warning if you haven't <laughs> going in there too. Um, they did <laughs> a, a wild spot. A wild spot where she he threw glass uh, uh, at him. Uh, and then put he put the light tubes across her chest and kicked them into her boobs <laughs> pretty much here. It was crazy. I, was, I almost jumped out of my seat at that. Uh, <laughs> they, they came in there. Uh, Rena ended up hitting this uh, – uh, the cradle pile driver uh, was wild. Uh, they did a one-count kickout on that. And did you notice the crowd booed when that happened? Because uh, I thought they were behind Yamashita, but when he kicked out, I don't know if they were like, this is cheesy or like, <laughs> like, or did they just want him to win? I don't know what it was. Uh, but in the end, they go through the, the barbed wire door uh, with the Splash Mountain, and uh, Yamashita won. A bloody match for this ultraviolet title. What did you think? I like the final stretch a lot. Um, when she hit that Splash Mountain, the, the pop from it was great. Um the match itself was my least favorite, probably, out of the three death matches on this show. Um, you know, for Rena, like her success in GCW has been so different than in Freedoms in the sense of like she wins every goddamn match in GCW, right? Okay. So when all of the guys from Freedoms came out, like when she won Tournament of Survival, right? And then Kasai and Sugira came out and celebrated. And then they like, you know, they hit her with the moves. They like fucked her up. And um, so coming war game weekend in October, she's kind of like aligned. She's team GCW with Gage, Murdoch, and I think Mazisos versus team freedom. So since tournament of survival, it feels like the story has been that, the Freedoms guys are very much the ghosts of her past. She's come here. She's gotten all this success because even though she's like, I mean, she's so goddamn popular in Freedoms now and everything, right? But she rarely ever wins the big match. Like, that's the thing. She always gets so close. But here, it's the complete opposite. She, like, finally won it. And, I mean, almost 300-day reign now as Ultraviolet Champion, won the Tournament of Survival, same year, like has not been pinned, I think, in a while outside of Cage's survival, I think, or whatever. But yeah, um, so I was very much expecting like Sasaki being kind of just like the dickhead teacher. Right. And 
they they played that dynamic well in terms of like she has to win this right and at times it felt like he didn't really take her seriously as well um but up until that final stretch i just never hit that second gear for me and um i don't know from the yamashita death matches that i've watched it it felt a lot slower than normal and even for typical like Sasaki matches as well. Cause I think of like his match with Risa Sarah. Um, and that was like one of my favorites that he's had in a very long time. Um, so this one didn't quite click for me, but I mean, I say all of this as I give it a 3.25. So that's yeah. still great, but those are pretty much my criticisms, but no, I mean, still, these are two of the best deathmatch wrestlers in the world. Um, like, yeah, I don't know. I so would here's love to hear more about what you, but yeah. Here's my thing on death matches in general. And I think a reason why I may have liked this, I think if they had swapped the, like if this had been the main event, I would have liked whatever came first the best. Because mm-hmm. you look at these matches. This match, light tubes. The next match, light tubes. John Wayne Murdoch and Torres Aguera. Main event death match, light tubes. Once again, it's the same stuff over and over. And I, my favorite kind of death matches are the old, like the death matches of old. I've said this before. If you go back and look at Big Japan from 20, like 25 years ago, even 15 years ago, and Ito's kind of prime, like they would do so much different stuff. There would be a cactus death match. You'd have the barbed wire net. There'd be dry ice and scorpions and piranhas and all kinds of crazy stuff that – the point of the match was kind of like, okay, something crazy was going to happen, but they build to it. And then it would be once that crazy thing happened, that like somebody fall off the, like fell off the scaffold into the barbed wire net, the match was over after that. Here in these modern death matches, I've always kind of really struggled with a lot of them because ultimately it's like, okay, we're going to use death tubes or, or light tubes like we've done in every death match for 10 years now pretty much it's like it's always the same so in general i think that may have been a reason why i like this more than the later ones because whenever i see stuff like that i just think man we're doing the light tubes again <laughs> like, mm. like always and that always really turns me off and that's going to be a struggle uh, when we continue watching these kind of shows and why i kind of even with the J- japanese death matches i kind of struggle with them because ultimately it's always just kind of reruns of like the same stuff I've seen a million times. And for this particular match, uh, I do think also too, that the intergender factor actually made it more stand out to me uh, Mm. because it like this kind of match, it benefits from shock factor, like that you could have something extremely violent. So when you see something like that, that did maybe did stand out more again. I'm not, it didn't really hit me, but maybe subconsciously it did. It is kind of where I'm going with that more or less, but that's kind of my feelings on a lot of these matches because I felt like they were very similar, ultimately, like one after the other. Uh, I think it would be better if they just had one big death match or if it was something where. Yeah, like I think if it was just one big death match or like with a like if every match had a different gimmick to it, I guess would be the best kind. Mm. But uh, every everyone uses light tubes now. So I know I'm I'm on kind of an island on that thinking. No, I am. Um, I thank you so much for sharing that. It's like, no, it's so cool to like hear and see your perspective on it so um i agree like um the one thing that stuck out to me was the barbed wire wrapped steel chair because i think it got used in all three matches in big spots and that to me i was like okay because 
Glass never gets old to me. I'm a big deathmatch guy, but <laughs> I um I agree also with having that singular focus, and they tend to do that um more on their deathmatch tournament shows in terms of like um match tips. Like yeah. you'll have a Tokyo Towers, you'll have uh you know gusset plates. Um, and that stuff's nice too because again, it's there's many different ways to to hold a brush, right? Um, so it's like you can really have like we saw yesterday, you know, there's no difference between centering an entire match around one light tube, one coffin, or a hundred light tubes, right? Like yeah. you can still work it all different ways beautifully. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I guess, and then that's like, that's to say that to me, all three matches definitely had the glass, but it felt like there was, you know, very um, different stories behind them, at least that I was able to connect through. Cause, and, and again, maybe this is because I watched so many light tube death matches yeah. that it, it's almost like a dog barking to me, like how some people at a certain point just don't hear it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they're like, Oh yeah. Um, you said to tune out like noise or whatever, but no, that's, that's fascinating. Cool. Yeah, I don't know if this will be popular with that. That kind of thinking will be popular with deathmatch fans out there, but I'm just telling it like it is, or how I see it anyway. And no, you, and it's, ev- everyone's free to like it if they if, if they if they do. So I'm, I'm not hating on anybody. No, uh, next, it's. Uh, yeah, I was just the, gonna say it's it's definitely. I think it's for a show like this because so many shows do have different steps like that and they do have it at the very least if you're going to include glass different primary weapons right like not that barbed wire wrapped chair yeah so on a show like this that's one of your biggest of like the year it's like definitely show out for more weapons and don't just i think they had like a lot more stuff on night two but yeah this definitely felt bare bones in the sense of like an iwa mid-south COVID era king of the death match so <laughs> yeah <laughs> I will say that I like the panes of glass they used in the next match, mm-hmm. which is for the King of Freedom title, Toru Segura defending against John Wayne Murdoch, who um, uh, he's a guy that has been around like the Southern Indies for a while. Uh, like, uh, you know, in there, uh, I was like very interesting. Um, you know, he's back as like, I know him as like Damian Payne, like back in the oh. like, uh, but, So you see him now and it's like, Okay, I totally get what you're going for, like a southern deathmatch guy, <laughs> pretty much. I was surprised at how short this was, though. When you see the time on cage match, only nine minutes. Uh, but they did a lot this match, I will say. I can see why you like this better, <laughs> actually, the more I, I look through my notes here. Um, wh- one thing we have to say, too. Um, get well soon, Hirata. Uh, mm. that, I don't know if anybody saw that, the Sugira and Hirata match at Freedoms. Uh, which had a very terrible injury to Hirata. That's actually how he won the title um, in a very unfortunate circumstance, uh, pretty much there. Uh, but yeah, they did everything. Um, uh, Sugera hit a big uh, Topekon hero early on <laughs> on the outside. Um, there was a big thing of glass that was in the corner. Uh, he threw Sugera through. Uh, they had a ton of light tubes that was there. I cut him open with some of the glass. There was the barbed wire chair that you mentioned as well, <laughs> where he went there. But uh, they just threw everything. They had two steel chairs, but then uh, Sugera grabbed him and hit, hit him with the slam through him. And uh, that was another one count. That's another thing I didn't like because we just saw that in the prior match. And they did yeah. it again. Um, but uh, in the end, one more light tube shot. And then the over easy from Sugira got the win uh, over John Wayne Murdoch. So, uh, like fast paced, all action. 
but mm-hmm. like I said, it's just like I said, if this had been on first, I think this would have been my favorite. And I think that's that's really the only difference I can give you on why I like the other one better. No, and uh, but like that is it's so important, right? If you're doing a single match and that's all you have to consider, but like as a as a booker, as talents, et cetera, like those things are like part of like the overall thing to consider is like, you know, okay, we're going to have three death matches in a row. So what can we do to make sure that all have the same impact as that initial light to break right in the first match. Um, And there are shows like tournament of survival six, I think is a show where all seven matches like build on each other and nothing feels repetitive or tired. So I I think your criticisms are completely valid. Um, And like, because it's unfortunate too, because I think the kick out at one here was more effective than the one in the it first totally match. Was. So it, it was dulled. Yeah, like it felt more because this is like such a burst match, right? Like it started off hot, and then there was that like brief little lull where I think Murdoch walked Sugir around the entire ring for the audience, which like you know, it's hard to complain about shit like that for death matches because it's so much for the audience that's there that yeah you're gonna walk them around the full ring and like poke them in the head in each corner because people love it right um but outside of that like and this isn't like a, a direct comparison but this had the energy of like kenta versus ricky marvin of like yo we got six minutes and we are going to do everything to each other yeah it was nine minutes and then if you probably take out maybe a minute or two for that that heat section like that's like five panes of glass. It's almost a pane yeah. of glass per minute. <laughs> um, and I personally, Murdoch is my favorite um, North American deathmatch wrestler. Okay. Um, like I really hope he gets to go to Freedoms or Big Japan. Um, like he was, oh my god, twenty twenty. I want to say he was like my most outstanding wrestler of the year. Um, like he really put death match wrestling on his back he wrestled 138 death matches that year something like 30 defenses is the icw american death match champion um and he is one of those people too where like if it's horror slam in front of five people um or it's you know an icw weekend at atlantic city main event like wrestlemania weekend or whatever he's gonna give the same amount uh, like uh same amount of energy same amount of go like he he yeah. loves wrestling and it comes through um and it's also I, I will say sometimes it can be very hard to find uh people that resonate you resonate with you uh morally speaking within the deathmatch community um <laughs> <So, laughs> <Okay. laughs> Is we have things like XPW, um, but I digress. Um, we will yeah. not cover XPW on this show. No, no, if, no, if, no, you try, if you try to get no. me on that, I, I, I have to draw the line at some point. No, the line is there. We do not have to cross it. Uh, but yeah, this was just a total sprint. Um, they showed the fuck up. America Toru is so fun because he just like yeah. walks around and he's like, oh, I just like screams at everywhere. And he, he's just like, like it all gets heightened to 11, right? Like in Japan, Maki Ita's whole thing is like, it's insinuated that she's like, you know, very evil and very tough and all that. And then she comes to America and now she's slicing people with pizza cutters wearing a bandana with like convicted bank robber, Nick Gage. Right. <laughs> and it's like, literally like what, like, Oh, come on. It's not like that. And then they come here and it's like, it's like that. Um, and it, I think like, 
you know, Rena, Toru, and Maki really have taken to just American wrestling here, you know? Like when um you know, like when you see Eddie or people go to the G1 and all of a sudden they're doing the choo, choo, and all like the effect, like the, the noise effects, right? When they're wrestling now, they're not talking and shit, but yeah. they're doing like those more onomatopoeia, like animated things. And it's just the way that people adapt. It, it's so fun to see them like take into it rather than just try to like be the same person. Um, so that that was definitely fun as always to see Toru here. Yeah, I've I've always been a big fan of his. Hey, Kobashi's favorite deathmatch worker. Uh, he he was on Fortune Dream uh, at one point. They they brought him in just for a normal match, not a deathmatch. But that's so, so funny. He's great. Uh, John Wayne Murdoch, uh, Murfreesboro's own uh, Tennessee wrestler right now, Memphis born and raised right here uh, with me. Uh, as we know, all the best wrestlers in the world come from Tennessee. Uh, that is a true fact, and he is one of those with the legacy. Uh, Murphy's Bar is a little ways away from me, though. Maybe like 90 minutes, two hours, something like that, maybe, away from me. So a little bit away, but still Tennessee nonetheless, so I have to to like him. Uh, Up next was a match featuring nobody from Tennessee. In fact, (laughs) uh, Spider Nate Webb, a legendary indie deathmatch wrestler back in the CCW days, and Masha Slamovich. And this match was basically like... The destruction of Nate Webb. It felt like you know, like Masha got everything pretty much, uh, and it looked like she and she won with a very dominant chokeout win here. So interesting, interesting. Here is how I, I wrote about this. Brett has like the Tony Khan booking abilities for Masha Slamovich. It's obscene how fucking <laughs> like. <laughs> On spring break, I'm pretty sure she had this same match where she wasn't really booked for the show, and then she came out and had an impromptu match. I love Masha Slamovich. She is great. Um, oh, yeah, she looked great. Yeah. And, like, I love Nate Webb. This was so funny. They're like, hey, Nate, you're going to go out. You're going to get your ass beat, but we'll let you play Teenage Dirtbag twice in a row for your intro. He's like, done. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, like, dude, it was just one of those things where she had to cut the promo after and, like, okay – have this at the beginning of the show. Don't put this three and a half fucking hours, dude. GCW really, they have this illness yeah. to booking that, or that forces them to book impromptu matches before a main event on a near four hour show. And it happens so frequently because they do Santana Jackson the next night. And I don't know. I mean, if it's to like make a break or whatever, but it's just a necessary, like, it felt like the crowd was excited to see them. And then once it began, it was just dead. Masha looked great. Always fun to see spider. And then Masha had to cut the promo after to like a completely dead crowd, (laughs) um, which was just pretty unfortunate. And um, this crowd was so weird in general to me, because there was times I, where I mean, look at the main event. I mean, when that match started, it was an electric atmosphere, (laughs) the (laughs) opener, and then there were spots, like I mentioned in the show, like that one count in the Yamashita match, where it's like they started booing randomly, where I was like, what? And then after this, like you said, uh, this was like a somewhat exciting match, and then the crowd was just like, oh, it's over. We don't care anymore. <laughs> like, what was that? 
it's uh, indie wrestling fans. I don't know. <laughs> like anytime a group of fans chant, you fucked up at a wrestler. I just try to like completely disengage from them <laughs> at that point. It's like the, it's the type of audiences that want to get themselves over. Um, it's, and then they like run out of steam. I'm like, cool. You spent your energy trying to come up with something like funny. Enjoy the show. Um, but yeah, no, it, it was definitely weird. Uh, I don't know how late. I think like, okay, by the time the main event went on, it was like three and a half hours in the show. So that's almost wow. midnight for them too. I will say that's like the thing. Yeah. Um, and as someone who has been at a GCW show at two in the morning and they're fucking like the next match is Mao and Mike's or Mike Bailey versus I think it was like Los Mazisos at two in the morning. And then they brought out a musical performance and I was like, you gotta be fucking kidding me, dude. So this is, I don't know. It's on them. Uh, it's just, it's poor booking. It's again, it's like putting, putting your top baby face in a spot that no one would do well in because like it's, yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. But we did have one last match. The main event uh, was the death match between Violento Jack and Matt, uh, Tremont here. Uh, I didn't understand this at all <laughs> because the, like this is a non-title match. Was there a story reason why? Because I mean the crowd loved this. Uh, like they were totally on board by the end. Is there some story I was missing here? Because I just thought, why is this the main event? The other two had titles on the line. Um, I'm like trying to check real quick because. I don't think they've ever faced before. I, I think that's pretty oh, much it's like it. Rematch scenario. Yeah. Well, Trey yeah. Trey's like one of the definitive deathmatch guys, and Violento Jack is awesome. Everybody knows that. So. Yeah, and like it kind of hit me night two, but Violento Jack main evented both shows. Like this was the Violento Jack weekend. <laughs> hey, hey, good. Um, he deserved it. He's great. And they've they've definitely made him the mouthpiece of freedoms for the feud. Um, but yeah, no, this I think on paper was pretty much like your Daniel Bryan or Brian Danielson Kenny Omega dream match. Um, what did you think? Now, see here, the thing is, there was a lot to like about this match. That these guys put in a ton of effort <laughs> right away. They started off with the light tubes or like, uh, you know, the crowd was really giving them a great reaction just with the, before they even did anything. <laughs> they, they made it feel like it was a big match. So I didn't know if it was an angle or a dream match or what, but uh, the crowd reacted very positive towards it. They started off right away. I mean, there was a spot where Jack hit him with that headbutt uh, through the light tube there, which I thought was like stupid, but it ripped his bandaid off. Ah! Yeah, yeah <laughs> in, a, in a glorious way, though, <laughs> at the end, uh, they did all kinds of stuff. There was all kinds of stuff in the corner with the pane of glass there. At one point, Tremont grabbed a fork and spiked himself with it, which is like a tried and true deathmatch spot to like smash a light tube over your own heads. <laughs> but this time he did it with the fork. And then I thought it was interesting where they got and they started doing a strike battle, and then Jack hit a low blow. And the crowd I was like, okay, so he is a heel here, like character here. But then you look at the ending, and it was totally <laughs> against that, but whatever. Uh, they came in with a big thing, another one-count kick-out, like the third out of three death matches where we did that with Tremont here. I was like, man, they're doing it again, <laughs> like the same stuff. Uh, but then Jack did this wild move. Uh, he had the light tubes that like, did a splash through the, on the top <laughs> with the light tubes. And in the end, though, 
uh, they got in there and Jack uh, ended up grabbing him in uh, the chokehold and choked him out. Uh, and no tap out here. He he was too tough to give up, but the ref stopped the match. And I just thought, in a death match, you're doing this? So I, I wasn't a fan of the finish, personally. But I, I feel like if I were a GCW fan and I was more aware of the stories and stuff, I may this may have resonated huge with me. But just watching it on its own, I was like, oh, man, like for real? Like we're doing that in a death match? Um, so, yeah, no, I, this, um, I was going to say Tremont has such a unique way of selling. Like he really has his own style that I just love, which is very visceral. I like, don't know how to describe it other than just how I'm literally moving at my desk right now. Which You're no just one waving can your see. hands around trying to, Hey, but I can see it. We can see it in our hearts though. No, that's what you don't <laughs> Thank you. Um, God, I wish I could describe it. He's very, like, um, comic booky in the sense of, like, if you poke him, he's going to be like, pow, almost. Yeah. And it's it's so real, though, still, and just slightly cartoony. Um, I really, really like this. This might have been my favorite match of the weekend. It totally delivered for me. Just, like, the Russian leg sweep between the um, – uh, to the outside off the apron was disgusting. Like, yeah, that was sick. Yeah. The fact that Tremont was so Tremont did a 700 light tube death match versus uh, the original Prince of the death match, Neil diamond cutter uh, <laughs> for like some H2O anniversary show last month. And he's in the hospital for a while. So I was just really happy to see Tremont here um, doing a death match. And <laughs> But like it's it's good to see that he's back and I mean he's able to do something at this level again and you know if you look at the class that Tremont comes from it's pretty much like you know the same class as Gage and Havoc yeah. um, and there's not a lot of those people around anymore um, so I'm very very grateful for these Matt Tremont matches and he really is able to pull up this big match big deathmatch feel still um i think his way that he interacts with the crowd is it's like very kento almost this is hot hot and like um like he always knows how to get the chant in the perfect time to get it in he does not take extra steps most of the time like he's not gonna waste in motion you or anything like that um yes jack is totally like the dickhead ultimate final boss here it felt like um there's something always strange about a death match ending in a submission um, because it's one of those things where there almost feels like it's implicated that it's going to end with some like just thing that would explode your body. Right. Yeah. Um, and like, it made me think back to Jack because Jack submitted Sugira too, if I'm not mistaken to like end his long ass, like two year reign or whatever. And back then I was like, ah, I don't know how I feel about this. Did, did, that, did he, was it a submission or did they stop the match? Cause I thought they said he passed out. Oh, uh, Tremont. I, was, I think yeah. it was, he passed out. Sorry. You're yeah. Right. So that, that, that's why I didn't like it. If it was a tap out, I would have liked it a lot better, but because he passed, out, I was like, come on, you're stopping the match. We just had earlier. We had a guy about to get lifted from the dog collar and, he, <laughs> and he, they had to give up on that. The referee didn't stop it then. So well, why now? I don't oh, know. Okay, maybe, okay. Maybe that I was a that. cheese. That, that that's why I reacted that way. Maybe I'm just being too anal about it, and I apologize. <laughs> no, I, no, I I misunderstood. So I thought you were saying you just didn't like submission finishers in death matches in general. No, I, I'm, like, t- I'm totally fine with submission. It's just the okay. 
the ref stopping the match. I was like, why why did they do that? Um Jack wasn't Jack like stabbing Tremont in the arm though with the arm bar and then the ref stopped it once he started stabbing him. Yeah. I've the only two people I've seen do that are Takeda and Jack, and it's fucking ridiculous each time. Like that's the stuff where I say like there's many ways to hold a brush incorporating it in like little actions like that where you're like it's brilliant like that's the time you should use glass if ever um but like dude tremont sold his ass off and like the fact that tremont can still walk and like perform at this level again like it's i'm always amazed as to what tremont is still able to do in the ring um and like how he he really is one of those guys i mean who has changed his style a lot and he's like abby right where Abby can make those matches where you're just hitting each other with tubes for 10 minutes. Amazing. Even though you're not doing much wrestling and it's just tube shots. Like Abby can somehow make that into a brilliant and fun match still. Yeah. Um, And I think Tremont still has that, um, still has that power, but yeah, this was just a really cool dream match that delivered for me. So I was stoked on it. No, this totally worked for the fans. Like I said, I think I would (laughs) have, that's why I said, if I were, a follower of all of this, I think I would have liked the finish a lot more. Uh, but mm. I just, I was thinking like, oh man, we just had them lifted with the dog collar match, and, and they didn't <laughs> stop it. And then you're gonna stop it here. <laughs> so I was like, oh, that's kind of a lame finish. But if, yeah. like I said, I think there's more. Like I said, if you're a true fan, like you and and the fans in the crowd were, I think you get a lot more from the finish than I did. It um, honestly, it made me think that he was gonna beat Rena as well. Him. Like putting or basically making Tremont pass out like that, um, and yeah, it would have made perfect sense. Uh, but uh, let's get into night two here. I, I know we're both running a little low on time. Oh, sorry, sorry. Yeah. Um, I hear. Well, we could we could talk about it. When we get to the main event though. Uh, we'll, we'll get through everything. Night two was the night after. Uh, same uh, same venue in Jersey, uh, Atlantic City. Uh, I've always I've always I've known a lot of people from Jersey in my time. Uh, you know, and, and I've always liked all of them. So uh, I got to give Jersey. Jersey's underrated, man. You look at the sports teams, the Giants, Jets, and all of that. They they play in Jersey, but they say they're New York. Uh, why can't we give Jersey their love here, in my opinion? So I'm very un- unhappy with the disrespect there. Uh, the first match of the show was, and we kind of mentioned it earlier, Tony Depp and <laughs> Uh, and literally the first thing we see out of this is Deppin saying, who the fuck is this guy? <laughs> and I think we were all asking it from the sound of it. Um, and, uh, you know, I thought the match was all right, though. Like, I, I didn't think it was bad uh, in in the end. Uh, the the finish was a big um, – Deppin hit this knee shot on the back of his head. It was pretty good, uh, I thought, in the end. But this tune, I mean, he did some stuff. He had that shooting star press at one point. Uh, they they tried to do a little bit here. He had that uh, Swanton bomb uh, going in there, and it was all right. He just seems like a punk rock indie wrestler. We're so spoiled when he did that Swanton. I was like, oh, what's he going to do, a 630? Because Leon Slater, yeah, and then he just yeah. did a regular Swanton, and I was like, okay. And I was like, okay, a Swanton is still remarkable, dude. Um, but – as weird as this may sound, that I did like this more than Deppin and Zane from night one. Um, <laughs> it because it felt like Deppin was able to be Deppin, right? It wasn't this like he was just a total back to being a total dickhead. Yeah. Um, and this felt like a more traditional Deppin match because 
you know, GCW from like, God, okay. I started watching in like 2018, the, they said it couldn't be done. Jim Kasai show. I pretty much watched like every single show since for the most part. Um, so I was like trying to think, but, um, you know, Tony Deppin would essentially open every show back in the day against whichever that week's Braden tune was. Yeah. And these were always going to be your guys who pretty much Joey Janela or Brett found on Twitter. Um, and it was fun because that's how you got Alex Zane, right? That's yeah, how yeah. you got a lot of these like random guys who are now staples of the scene. Um, and, you know, dickhead gatekeeping Deppin, I think, is Tony's best position because like you said and and i think you put it very eloquently to say that tony deppin can hit all these moves but there's not much identity behind them yeah um and you know i think where he's able to kind of marry that lack of identity is just with like how rude he can be you know like when he goes to hit you and then and chop you and then instead he twists your nipples and then he goes to hit you (laughs) in the face and then instead he blows snot on you like those are the little things that he adds to it and i think that is what can you know emphasize the flying knee strike at the end right to feel more like a, a fuck you punctuation than just a kenton knee strike um so yeah this this was nice in the sense that it was just a good old Depp and gatekeeping match. And I've literally never heard of Braden Toon. So congratulations to him. And he, he gave Depp and to his credit, he gave him a lot yeah. uh, in this match to kind of be somebody. And I agree with you. I like this better than the other match where I thought it was like, oh, we're doing a junior heavyweight style match here. Here it's like this had a lot more uh, like clear cut dynamic with Toon being this guy nobody knows, and uh, pretty much like this underdog, like easy underdog character for Tony Deppin to be the bully towards. So yeah, I like this too. I thought it was a good start to the show here. Um, and like you, I'd never seen him before, but I thought he did pretty much fine uh, for his role. And Deppin did a good job getting him there too. So good stuff from Deppin and Toon. I know I, I criticized him a little bit earlier, uh, but I, I did I did like this match though. Uh, next up was an eight-man tag match, uh, eight-person tag match. In fact, uh, you've got, the, as we mentioned, <laughs> Thrunt. We cannot forget. <laughs> we cannot forget Thrunt. The, the full, is that what happens if there's five? What will they be then? I don't know, but it's like Powerpuff Girls. It's like the professor mixed Thrussy and Sawyer Rack and created Thrunt. <laughs> yes, exactly. So is Effie what, Professor? What would be the What would be the third or the fifth? I don't know what what could you think of? Who's the Bojo Jojo of this group? The, the, oh my god! That the fifth uh, power power girl secretly. Oh my, Braden Tune. Um, <laughs> that's who we can we can give him that spot. No, I think it'd have to be Maki Ito. Yeah. Like that would be the Mojo. She would be the secret fifth. Um, so then that would be Pussy uh, Thrussy Thrunt. Pentunt? I don't know. Pentunt? Is that, that <laughs> I don't know. I'm free to steal these ideas, Effie, I, Lauderdale, all of you. I'm not good at math. Forgive me. I don't even know <laughs> what that means. So, I, like, I don't even know words, let alone math at the moment. But uh, the the whole gang was here. <laughs> Effie, Alley Catch, Dark Sheik, and Sawyer Wreck versus uh marcus mathers starboy charlie leon slater and brogan finley here 
and I was just so like when I, when this match started, I was just like, this is nuts. Why? Like, why am I watching this? <laughs> I think the thing is though, Thrunt for all of their all of their flaws that and criticisms we could have, the crowd loved them here, and I think it's a gimmick in this day and age that's like easy money pretty much you know at the end of the day like uh, something very relatable you've got this gay team you know pretty much with fe uh lgbtq plus team like with all of them here with dark chic uh, ali catch sorry wreck it's like you got everybody here uh representation in full effect here which i think is a great thing you know like for the fans at the end of the day uh you know so it's like a very easy gimmick to to do right now uh and that's why they're so beloved i think and so well known in the G- GCW universe, so to speak. Uh, the other guys were all like young indie dudes, uh, pretty much. And I mentioned before, I really liked what I saw of Slater. The Starboy Charlie match on that DDT show was awesome. Uh, against Higuchi? Yeah, against Higuchi, yeah. That Did was, like, you I hear me screaming Higuchi's name during that? I was <laughs> I was going hoarse, yeah. Yeah. And I found him out front after, and he was just smoking, and I was like, I loved your match against Okabayashi, and he was like, thank you. <laughs> Such a weekend highlight. Yeah, that match was great. And uh, bro, uh, Finley, he is obviously the son of Finley, uh, Fit Finley, and uh, David Finley's brother uh, here, pretty much. So, uh, another member of the Finley family, who I always respect. I've got, I'm a Finley respecter for sure. But like I said, I mean, this was a nonsense match <laughs> at the end of the day, but it works for the audience, so I can't really criticize it too much. Yeah. Um... Going back to what you were saying real quick about Thrunt, like Effie is one of my favorite wrestlers in the world. Um, to have like, you know, just queer representation yeah. in wrestling is still feels so fresh. Um, yeah. And then like as a queer person myself that is also sober, yeah. like Effie is also sober. So like that's always been uh, someone who talks about it that has been sort of inspirational for myself as well. Um, Absolutely. And here, I, I I would honestly say that Homecoming Night Two felt like a complete fix. Like I, there was nothing on this show that I disliked. Yeah. Um, like everything that didn't work on night one, it felt like it worked here. Like the Brat Pack versus Thrunt was just, it made so much more sense. And then they worked it so differently than they did with Mazisos the night before as well, which made still no sense anyway. Um, but I, I liked this. Um, I, Really wish that Billy Starks was in this, um, but she she did get injured, I guess, the night before, which is such a bummer. So I hope she heals up quick. Um, would she been it? Would she have been a part of Pint Hunt or a rival? No, so she's in Brat Pack. So it's okay. yeah, Finley's uh, Brat Pack was originally Finley Slater, Charlie, Nick Wayne, and Billy Starks, and there's like this photo of them, and I'm like, damn, that's like gonna be a pretty wild photo in five years you know much like um and then mathers was added mathers is i would say probably the best student from matt tremont um like when you see mathers live he's very dialed in it's weirdly as this may say in the same way that like a jeff jared or emmy sakura is in (laughs) like he's just very like i don't know how to say yeah other than just tuned in he's always there um braided this was yeah, I'm a Looney Tooney dude. Um, <laughs> but like this, this like I said, sometimes a match doesn't have to be great if it makes sense. 
Um, Because when it just becomes fucking grating, it's like, dude, this is like, oh, but um, this was pure fun for me. Like, I liked how the Brat Pack, obviously, were just the young guys. They hit, like, those four fucking, like, insane, um, I think it was everyone hitting their moves and then Slater hitting his swanton 450 after and then meanwhile thrunt has maybe done like four moves so far in the match and it was just super funny like the you know the contrast between like the guys who are going to do 45 moves and take 20 neck bumps in a match versus the people who have very much become like minds around wrestling for the most part and have figured out how to like wrestle i wouldn't maybe not necessarily smarter but differently to like not take so much on their bodies and um it was very yeah very much like that i can't keep up with these fucking kids man (laughs) Uh, so yeah it was uh this to me felt like just a fun gcw match like a classic style gcw one yeah this is what i would this is the kind of thing I would expect watching a GCW show. So I think when you see this as a fan, you're right at home. And like you said, uh, the representation on there, you know, that has to be mentioned when you look at these Effie and, and not just him, but Alley Catch as well. Uh, Dark Sheik, transgender uh, representation. You get a little bit of everything with them, too. And, and everybody deserves to have their own representation and heroes when it comes to wrestling or, you know, uh, especially in wrestling, you know, specifically. But um, I, I really enjoyed that, too. I thought it felt like, you know, for it's a it's a weird thing in a lot of ways. But for this context, the GCW context, this was like very wholesome, I would say, mm-hmm. like the thrunt. it's about as wholesome as a threat can get yeah yeah it's weird (laughs) as it is to say that uh, at the end of the day but in this very very specific context i think it's a wholesome thing at the end of the day that's why it worked um (laughs) the next match we had uh the aforementioned maki ito in a singles match here versus becca uh, Becca, all caps, but also all numbers as well. <laughs> you have the three in the middle. Uh, very edgy here, here. But I'd say I was impressed by her wrestling, actually, in this match. Uh, we did another one of my moves as well. We have to give her props with multiple times, actually, with the 450 splash. Uh, she went here. But Maki Ito would not grant it to her. She kept dodging it, kept getting out of the way. And uh, then ended up locking in uh, the submission on Becca, getting the tap out. A, a legit tap out, not the ref stoppage. <laughs> uh, I, I like this match. I thought it was better than I thought it was going to be. Uh, the crowd was so into Ito here. Uh, yeah, but I thought they actually wrestled good. Like when it came time, yeah. to play, I thought it was good. No, so Becca, like admittedly, this past year, I've fallen out with a lot of wrestling. Like, God, 2021, I watched 2,700 matches from, like, 80 different companies, pretty much. And I was so tapped in everything from, like, you know, Action to New South to Beyond to fucking Limitless. And I pretty much fell off, like, all of Southeast and Northeast wrestling over the past year. And, you know, it's unfortunate because that's when I've seen the names of, you know, Alec Price, Becca, and others start to really rise. And this was the first time I've ever watched a Becca match. Um and like so all i knew going in was that the sort of story behind is becca has a pop gimmick and you know maki ito's the idol right yeah so i thought it was going to be a total character like there's going to be a sing-off there's going to be all these things and this was my favorite straight wrestling match of the entire weekend i thought this was great like (laughs) i could not becca is an incredible incredible wrestler like 
when I after this match, I was like, you know, outside of Billy Starks, the only person that I think I would say reminds me even Starks is so different. But I would say Becca is the first person since Chris Statt left the Indies to have that feeling for me. Like just every single move hits hard as fuck, technically sound like it all looked great, great in ring work, like just character work interactions with the audience um like she didn't do the whole two count i'm gonna pull my hair out ruby riot face all this stuff like she was on ito to win this match and you know great maki ito matches are fucking great and ito did like she did all of her best work in this too um like when (laughs) like even her typical comedy spots with the crying and yeah. Becca like that were great. Um, yeah, this this was definitely the biggest surprise for me over the whole weekend. Because like I said, I was expecting just sort of a like pretty much a yeah, just a joke match. And this was this was awesome. I am I'm a Becca head. So. Yeah, Becca. <laughs> yeah, I I'm still new, but I'm definitely a Becca fan. After this match, I thought she wrestled good. And B three for life. Yeah, B three. That, that's right. <laughs> Um, great selling too at the end um, of the Ito special, which Ito won with, um, and uh, I thought it was a really good match overall uh, there. So uh, good stuff there. And then we have again a totally different style of match, but again a singles match. Uh, Dragon Kid versus Commander here, obviously heavy lucha influence. Commander, one of the new you know kind of guys that have branched out in America and been popular of the Mexican seed something I'm uh, obviously a big fan of lucha libre and Mexican style itself and DK is like a legend in Dragon Gate he was one of my guys when I first started watching them you know 10 15 years ago or whenever uh they really uh went out here uh they did a lot of good stuff uh here and I like that they tried to have a little bit of a story here with DK going after commander's legs like hey like you're kind of where I was at 20 years ago, so I I, I need to slow you down. I'm the high flying guy usually. Um, uh, he came in. Uh, there was a wild uh, move where Commander did his rope walk uh, into the Centon bomb. Um, D- DK was firing up a little bit here. They had a little bit of a strike battle even, uh, and then he fired back with this um, you know surfboard uh, attempt here. And they really went at it back and forth. Uh, DK went for the 619 by Tiger Fink Kick, uh, Tiger Fink Kick, but it didn't really work. Um, they ended up hitting this wild Hurricane Rana from the top rope uh, for a great near fall. I thought that was like a great moment. Mm-hmm. But in the end, uh, he ended up cl- um, hitting the rope walk into the shooting star press for the win. And uh, I thought it was a really strong match for what you would expect out of these two. At this day, it's exactly what you wanted. Spots, and I thought DK actually, he didn't ground Commander, but I thought he added a layer of psychology that made him better than usual. Uh, totally agreed across the board. Like, being conditioned to these wild GCW shows, I was expecting, like, um, pretty much, you know, Dragon Kid to go the same, like, just to go one-on-one with Commander nonstop, constant flying, high spots, high spots. So I thought the limb work was really welcomed and um, like it, I don't know, the, the explosion of commander so quickly, because again, it's, it's someone, okay. I don't watch um, 
much Mexican wrestling outside of like the big shows, which I really should. Um, so he's someone that, you know, exploded on my radar. I feel like six months ago or whenever, like a year, whenever he came in and now he's already like fighting dragon kid. And it's weird to have like a dream match with someone that like, I've only known about for a year. And I think it speaks to just how good some of these rising talents are as well. And again, like it's a lot of just the, the beautiful history and language of pro wrestling that serves as the background story for this match before it even begins. Right. Like, um, Dragon Kid is the result of Commander, who is the result of Dragon Kid in that sort of weird way and how their styles and characters, similarities, etc. is sort of just passed through time, you know, and, and wrestling the way that Mexican wrestling influenced Dragon Gate and in turn Dragon Gate has re-influenced others, right? Yeah. Um, so I felt like it just came really full circle here. Um, I don't know. I, I, I maybe a couple more minutes would have been nice, but also it was just cool. Like probably my favorite part was just seeing dragon kid have a fucking blast. He was smiling the whole time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, really into this. I, you know, yeah. That's kind of a problem with this, some of the GG shows. The crowd hasn't been super hot lately uh, for whatever reason uh, here, but here the GCW crowd really was into him and, and everything going on here. And I was honestly like at this point, this is really where I was thinking, man, I'm really enjoying this show. Like, the, like this is a good show here. Uh, like, four for four, really. Uh, like, at least three or four. You know, the front match worked in context. It wasn't everyone's cup of tea. It wasn't really mine, but I, I give it a pass in context. The other three I actively liked. And then the next match happened. The GCW world title here. Now, here's a question I have for you before we talk about this match. Where is the world title in terms of, like prestige in the company like is it above or i mean it clearly on this show is below the other titles uh both the tag team and the the ultra violent is it always below the ultra violent or is it like inter you know you can like bjw like so the strong title is kind of the main title at the moment it's so hard to say so like a quick rundown on the gcw title scene they didn't have their tag titles for like two and a half years because of covid because mazisos were the champs and couldn't go anywhere um so they didn't even have tag titles until like a year and a half ago um the ultraviolet title was created randomly during wrestlemania weekend like two years ago when icw debuted their title it's just like a response to it um because at the same time gcw had the extreme title which has sort of just disappeared um and then they have the world title, which was definitely the number one title. I mean, it was Nick Gage was champion for 730 something days. It was like Okada and Kobashi. And he dropped it to Ricky Shane Page, who held it for a long time. Gage held it again, still number one in the company. Then he dropped it to Cardona, still number one. Then he dropped it to Moxley. And interesting enough, interestingly enough, I would say when Moxley became GCW world champion is when it became its number two title. And that's purely for the reason that Moxley couldn't wrestle as much as Alex Colon was as the ultraviolent champion who was main eventing shows, all of these shows. Right. So and GCW hardcore fans, you know, GCW started as a deathmatch wrestling company. So I think that no matter what their shows like are always going to be like the deathmatch shows are pretty much always the biggest. Um, but uh, yeah, now it's, you know, Gage was champion again after he beat Moxley. He was still defending it. It was pretty much positioned as the number one title again. They gave it to Masha, and then it's 
one of those things, like I said, where it's this inability to book like I don't know the women and there was like the second Masha won the title I think she had just a couple defenses um like let me look real quick some on cage oh no she had a few damn I'm totally wrong but um <laughs> so I take that back but <laughs> You know, this being positioned on the card right here, I just knew it was going to be bullshit. Like, there was going to be some bullshit finish. I hated this match. Like, I thought it was one of, like, the worst of the two shows. Uh, Ooh, okay. Like the, I'm excited this or, to talk about it. This or the thrusty match on the first show. Uh, or maybe the women's match. But w- to me, there was so much nonsense here. Like, there are people running out left and right. Uh, Akira mm-hmm. was here coming in there. It's like there was multiple interferences coming in there. Uh, Steph came out at the end. It's like, man, uh, maybe again, I'm the type of fan that will hate this no matter what, even if I'm a fan of a company, to be honest with you. So I won't even give it that because I don't care what company it is. I'm so over these style of matches with the interference and everything. The referee getting pulled back, uh, you know, and all that stuff. I. I didn't need that crap in my wrestling, and I didn't like it here either. Uh, it's a shame because, I, like, Masha, obviously a very talented wrestler, and Blake, he's gotten a lot of positive reviews for his heel character here, and he's a guy that can do a lot. But I just, to me, I didn't enjoy this at all. What, what did you um, No, this uh, wrong winner, for sure. Like, you know, the way that Blake won the title was, and again, this is kind of the booking here where it's like you're shooting yourself in the fucking foot. So, yeah, Rena wins Tournament of Survival. So the next night she gets to challenge Masha for the world title um, in the Cage of Survival. How does that match end? Blake Christian walks in and cashes in his thing and pins him. <laughs> like, it's just one of those fucking things where it's, it just sounds so categorically stupid and yet they did it. Um and then here as well, it's like the the experiments worn off. GCW is like I think they're a fun matchmaking promotion, but I really, really have not liked their stories outside of the Ricky Shane Page Gage one. Yeah. Um, like it's they they just work a lot off like heat rather than long-term storytelling, if that makes sense. So like someone like Cardona was able to weave long-term storytelling in it. Right. But with Blake, it's just shit finished like a, you know, evil house of torture thing at the end of each show pretty much. And that's their form of long-term long-term, sorry, long-term storytelling. And it just gets, you know, aggressively old after a certain point. And this was the moment where you needed to switch the title and now that Masha lost, I, I don't really know what the direction is for it, because what makes sense is uh, Masha and Steph match now. But that happened at spring break already um, for the title. So, yeah, I, I will say, though, I like this match a lot until the interruption started. Like, yeah, Masha is so great at intergender uh, matches, just wrestling in general. Yeah. Anytime she starts wrestling, I'm always like. That's right. You've trained with Marvelous. <laughs> um, and Blake's just, a, yeah, just a dick. And like, you know, if he needed to fulfill this role here, cool. But he's one of those heel champions that I, it feels like, um, I don't know, like Seamus 515, right? We're, or like, it's not that we hate him. It's that we simply just don't enjoy seeing them. 
you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think that those get con- like confused sometimes. But yeah, I was really bummed out. Once it started getting overbooked, it, it was really, again, like any type of pro wrestling like that, especially in a world title match, it's one of those things where I'm like, it just like, just like, um, I don't know, it's a big red flag in terms of like, you couldn't think of anything else. Exactly. Like, it's a holdover from stuff 40 years ago in wrestling. Like, when are we going to move on? Uh, at the end of the day, I just, I don't know. I I hope for the best for this title run. And I agree with you. Talent-wise, both of them I like. You know, they'd be among the top performers to me if I were listening about it, especially Mastra right now doing a lot of good things. But the matches didn't work for me overall. And it's one of those things where it happens. Not everything's going to be for everybody. Um, the next match was a match I know I know you're looking forward to talking about. The the trios match here uh, where it had uh, Los Macizos and Jimmy Lloyd. Uh, they took on Alex Price, <laughs> Colm Radrick, and Shane Mercer, who was definitely in this match. They would not <laughs> take that away from me. Uh, like, they did a... Shane Mercer respect army right now. They had uh, the other teams were Dante Leon, Ninja Mac, and Joey Janela, and Jack Cartwheel, Arez, and Gringo Loco. So this match, like you have like a whole play by play of this, right? I don't have a. <laughs> I, I don't have a play by play. The one thing I'll say, the one spot that stood out. I mean, there was so much. Everybody did a lot, but. Charlie did this, what I could best describe as a Sasuke special into a destroyer, like a flip pile driver, which was like mind blowingly awesome. I was like, this is insane. Even the referee did a, did a flip pile driver and on Joey Janela here, the crowd went nuts. And again, if this happened in a normal company, I would say this is so stupid. But in this context of GCW that I'm watching it, I thought, okay, this is nuts, but it's also awesome at the, at the same time. Uh, so I I really just turned my brain off for this match. Uh, there was just all kinds of stuff here, pretty much. Uh, Cartwheel was insane uh, do, doing it uh, here. Uh, you know, uh, it was Cartwheel, actually, that, uh, that did that. Uh, Sasuke special into the the pile driver, which was just insane. If it makes uh, you feel better, I think Charlie Cartwheel is a much cooler name than Jack Cartwheel. <laughs> Starboy Charlie and Jack Cartwheel. That's a great Char- Charlie Cartwheel there. Uh, but man, he, what a move that was, though. I was so impressed by it. And there was all kinds of stuff going on here. Um, I'm sure you you probably have a lot there. There's a spot where. They all did submissions to each other, and then Seek of Place shoved his thumb at Arez's nether region. Uh, there. Uh, so again, it's like, on a, a normal show, I would say this sucks, but on this particular show, I thought, okay, this totally fits. They're doing, they're accomplishing everything they want to do with this insane match, and in the end, it was awesome. At the end, and, uh, Gringo, got, uh, Gringo Loco got the win. Uh, on, uh, he pinned Mercer, actually, yep. again. Yeah, um, this was fun. Like this yeah. to me felt like the ultimate love letter to the old PWG multi-mans. The match began with ev- all twelve competitors doing a cartwheel in and around the ring. Yeah, which, it was just one of those moments where, when you're at a live wrestling show, that's just like childlike feeling, and it's so healthy. Um, <laughs> it's wonderful. Um, 
Yeah, like the the big sequence that stands out is them essentially doing a series of I think it was like eight or nine destroyers by the end. But, yeah, you know, the way it starts out is one person hits a normal Canadian destroyer and then someone hits a a step up one or, or a springboard one. Right. Yeah. And then the setup for each one gets longer and longer to where I'm almost forgetting, like, OK, so they're done with the destroyer thing now. And then they hit another destroyer up until I think you said it was like the yeah the Sasuke special destroyer. Um, that was so good, <laughs> like too like such an impressive move. What's funny is like the the complaints we've had about Blake Christian and Masha, and then the whole like ref hitting a destroyer. Those both happened in MJF and Adam Cole. <laughs> hey, listen, GCW inspiring right now. Could, it, could that have been what it is? They did it first. <laughs> that's hilarious um yeah like honestly this was just a total blast um yeah. there's really no way to sell it other than it's just one of those matches you have to watch um it's like it really is pro wrestling in the sense of a bunch of kids um you know just doing crazy shit with their friends yeah. uh the only thing that i thought sucked was the ending just because it was shane mercer so shane mercer was like going to he was like threatening the ref or something, and then he's like, "Yeah, ah, you're all good." And then he turned around, and Gringo just hit him, and then he got pinned. And I was like, "Damn, okay." It was just a very flat ending for an otherwise electric match. But also, I, if you put me in a room and you said, "Hey, book this finish," I don't know if I could. So it had to end with the destroyer, yeah, of some sort, which it did. That uh, he did hit him with the destroyer at the end. So <laughs> at least there was some totally bizarre and nonsensical psychology used in this to have all the destroyers in there. Like I said, if you if you just watch it for what it is, there's a ton of fun to be had with this match. I greatly enjoyed this personally as, again, like if you try to apply normal wrestling logic to it, then yes, you're going to find a lot to complain about. But if you just watch it for what it is, it was like a lot of fun. <laughs> Honestly, I, I really enjoyed it. Did that move by uh, Cartwheel had to be one of the best, like best moves of the year to me, so far. And they don't really do that a lot with like the Observer Awards. It used to be they would pick like a singular move kind of as the best move of the year, but now it's just like, well, the Rainmaker or something like that will just be the move. But to me, this was like one of the best singular moves of the whole year. I, I loved it. <laughs> what if they had done that in the next match? With Santana Jackson and Haley Dillon, I, I know you wanted to talk about this too, so uh, I will allow you to take the lead on this one here. Santana, no, no. Jackson, <laughs> tell us what you think. I, I've seen Santana Jackson live, so I skipped this because <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. Um, no, once I I saw him come out, I was like, I can't. I need to finish this. So. <laughs> You, I, uh, you, could, you couldn't bring yourself to it. I couldn't. Did okay. Did he do the thing where like he puts his hands up to start like the the grapple or whatever, and then he put it down, and then he did the slot. He hit all the moves, the moonwalk DDT or whatever. Um, he's fun. What did you think? <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> this was insane and ridiculous, but I I thought it was just completely just nuts. <laughs> like. <laughs> A Michael Jackson impersonator is this man's gimmick at the end of the day. Um, there was a spot where Dylan grabbed his, his hat and just uh, stomped on it. So super heel stuff there. 
Uh, he hit the dance into the elbow, like the people's elbow cross with Michael Jackson moves <laughs> uh, pretty much here. Uh, at one point, um, hey, uh, Dylan actually went for the Rainmaker, but uh, Jackson turned it into a spear. Uh, and then he hit the moonwalk into the DDT for the win, which I thought was awesome. Like, this was so funny. Santana Jackson doesn't have a cage match page either, so we got to start fixing shame. these things. <laughs> what a shame. Um, see, okay, like Santana Jackson matches are fun, but again, I'm like, okay, I'm three hours into this show. Yeah. Um, and this wasn't on the card, so I feel I feel bad for not watching. I'm very happy you liked it, though. Like, Santana Jackson is definitely one of those – like GCW is a traveling carnival. It's yeah. one of the fun attractions. And, and like the, the first two to three times, this will be awesome. And then the, by the seventh time, you'll be like, okay, enough of this. <laughs> like, you know, I, I, I get the feeling this gimmick was, but for now, I thought the moonwalk DDT brilliant. Uh, I loved it. <laughs> World tag team title matchup next. The East West express here which is, of course, Jordan Oliver and Nick Wayne. They took on the Freedoms team of Takashi Sasaki and Toru Sugera. And we saw a title change here, actually. Um, you know, despite everything, we saw the East-West Express come in here. Uh, I thought that uh, it was kind of interesting, but also kind of underwhelming in a, in a weird way. Uh, I don't know what your thoughts on it were, but I thought that this match never really got to the next gear that I wanted. Uh, they did use uh, some weapons here with the steel chair and stuff. Uh, in fact, that was kind of like the finish of the match with the package pile driver uh, to the chair on Nick Wayne uh, here. So they did a lot of stuff here, but I never thought it really got to like super exciting. Maybe we were spoiled by that crazy match we saw where the energy was so high that you had this ridiculous Santana Jackson match. And that this wasn't able to really follow up, up, maybe. Yeah, it definitely suffers from, like, you know, pacing on multiple levels, um, both in match and just in show. But this was a weird one. For some reason, like, when I first saw it, I was like, oh, no way. Nick Wayne's going to do glass. And then I was like, no, there's absolutely no way that Nick Wayne is going to do a death match. Um, and then when Toru came out and I saw his outfit, I was like, yeah, they're definitely this is just a normal match. Yeah. Um, like, uh, I don't know. Okay, so this match felt way more like um, a set piece than anything else in terms of, like, potentially Nick Wayne's send-off from GCW. Um, yep, assuming point. that he's done now with independence. Um, and then, you know, it worked as a, it served as a transition into the main event. Um, yeah. And then as a way to, you know, put heat on the GCW versus Freedoms feud. Uh, that said, it was just a really weird matchup on paper. I don't think either team really gelled well together. I don't think that the story was really there to gel either. Like, you know, I don't remember much in the way of the actual wrestling in the match. Um, up until, you know, when Jack runs in for the yeah for the interference. And at that point, I mean... Again, much like Masha, I would almost say it was more egregious here than it was in Masha and Blake, because at least in Masha and Blake, I think Steph and Akira ran in when the ref was down. But like the ref was up and Jack's just like cheering these dudes. <laughs> um, so I don't know. It, it just felt 
very weird. It, it seemed like they had to do like, hey, we got to send off Nick Wayne, uh, put some belts on the line in this feud. And then also we need something cool to work itself into the main event. And then they're like, uh, tag title match. And yeah, it, it I mean, it fulfilled the those points. But I just, I was, honestly, I just like, I would watch everything in Blake and Masha again up until the, the interference. But yeah, this, nothing from this really stuck out to me, which if this is Wayne's send off, that's a bummer because yeah, it was. It, it felt like East West Express was absolutely the back, like the background set tr- set pieces or whatever for this. Um, that said, though, I loved the transition into the main event. That was a great idea. Like I, I liked how that all worked out. Again, like this is very like out of the ECW playbook, where one match bleeds into the other. They've done that countless times. I had the Heyman style. So again, another great reference there. Mm. Before we get to the main event, I'll ask you one question about this tag title. What did you think about the title change here? Um, so, you know, I think GCW is, again, like it's a show where or a promotion where it's more about the matches and the titles sometimes. Um, if yeah. this is back in the day, I'd be like, oh, shit, well, we're not going to see the tag titles in forever. Yeah. Um, but, you know, going into October, this makes sense. Um you know, War Games Night 1, Night 2, give us Masisos versus Sasaki and Sugira or Janela and Rec versus them. Um, there's a lot of really fun matchmaking that you can do with it. Uh, I like to I like Sasaki and Sugira's champs. I think, you know, definitely it was going to be Harada and Sugira. We're going to get Soul Meat as champs, so that's a bit yeah. of a disappointment. But rest up, Harada. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's like it's cool. It's, it's just... Um, Again, like this has the same energy as MJF and Adam Cole winning the ROH tag title belts. I'm like, all right, now what? And why? (laughs) (laughs) Um, That's their job to follow up the why and the how and the who's next. (laughs) Like, win the title, but hopefully they get there. But yeah, I just, I hope they defend it a few times before October, like that we get it on some freedom shows. That would be cool. Yes, I agree with that for sure. I think it would help out a lot. Like you said, with them going to Japan in a couple of months, I think you'll get that as well for sure. Uh, the whole company. So the starting of the main event was awesome. Uh, Rena ran out. All this was going on. She immediately just destroyed Jack um, uh, with the, the light tubes. Uh, she had a ton of them. She smashed them. The crowd loved this. This felt hectic and crazy again. Uh, again, with the carving, with with the tube and stuff, uh, she hit the – well, she didn't hit, but she locked in the ball claw there on, on Jack 2. One of the most devastating moves. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, uh, but Jack recovered somehow uh, here. He came in. Uh, he came in with the chair. There, there was all this glass. Uh, and I thought this was like a really unique spot actually where he like gathered up the glass and then threw – Rena into it face first. Uh, I thought that was like wild there. Like I was very surprised to see something like that. Uh, more light tube stuff, which I said before, I'm not a huge fan. Uh, she did smash him again in the balls with the light tube this time. So that's clearly a strategy here at the end of the day. Uh, Jack hit this uh, Uranagi into the light tubes, uh, which, which looked wild. 
they did the sp- a splash again with the light tubes. Rena's wasn't as good as uh, Jack's in the night one main event, I will say, uh, going in there. You had the paint- panes of glass going in there. They teased a big super- suplex into the glass, but instead – uh, she turned it around, hit the Splash Mountain, but that was uh, only a kick out. And uh, then she ended up uh, getting in a flash pin for the win here. So I liked a lot of this match. And then there was more afterwards as well, because uh, like everybody ran in to set up the war games <laughs> pretty much uh, there. Um, the match itself, I thought was good. But again, the opening made me think we were going to get something like really special. And I, I don't think it really reached that heights by the end. This was uh, this was one of my more favorite U.S. Rena matches. Um, yeah, agreed. It like, but, yeah, but I just I didn't think it, I thought we were gonna get something like whoa, like this, like this is gonna be something crazy, like Alzheimer. Yeah, exactly. Like, and then by the end, I was like, okay, that was a good, worthy main event. Again, I didn't like the finish. I thought it was a flat finish uh, mm. with the flash pin. Like, why couldn't she just pin them after the Splash Mountain? It looked great. Okay. Yeah. So um, I, I did like Tremont and Jack more than this. This was probably my second favorite death match. I put it, like, right in front of Toru and Murdoch. Um, but I do like how Rena didn't beat Jack. She survived him. Yeah, that's um, I did like that aspect, and I think, like, she pinned Toru, I think, in one of the tournaments in GCW, and then I think she, like, because what I'm looking at right now, so now she's pinned Jack, and I think one of the only people she hasn't pinned now is Kasai in America. Oh, okay. So I wonder if that's what they're working towards, too. Um, I did think Jack was going to win there with the submission, though. Like, them, him putting out... Yeah, Tremont, that was really I good. for sure thought that Rena was losing. I was like, damn, she's going to have to get the title back. Because um, they're also doing the uh, GCW Karakian show, right, in October after War Games. And that's so, what I said about the tag titles, that I think that yeah. will lead them to defend it more now that they have that show. And, uh, yeah, like, I don't know. I was, as like a, a Rena fan, uh, like for this title reign, this was a really, really big one. But there have been better ones. Like, I think Rena's best match in this title reign has been against Casey Kirk. Um, it's just a phenomenal match. Um, but this it was just really, really cool to see her um, get the pin on Jack. And Jack, like, this was some of his best heel work that I've seen. Like, because when I started watching Freedoms, it was right at the beginning of Toru's reign. So I think Jack, like until he joined or started empire ruler ends was pretty much kind of like your generic baby face. So to see him become such a bastard here, like he was just ruthless. Um, and yeah, uh, you know, it's really all about the angle after again to where that's true. Part, too. part yeah. of me feels like there was no big homecoming weekend match really. Like yeah. if, if you're, Putting both of these cards on paper and you say, what is the match that represents the company this weekend? And to me, it's Blake and Masha. And that feels like such an afterthought. Yeah. Because everything else is pretty much, you know, not like because I wouldn't say Rena is a homegrown GCW talent. Right. She is an attraction star, yeah. um, much like a Mike Bailey and Maki Ito. But 
all of your, you know, quote unquote, homegrown talents, none of them were really in any prominent roles on this show. Um, so more than anything, this felt like the precursor to GCW versus Freedoms and just a long weekend set up for that. That said, I guess like I liked all the death matches. I'm a big B3 for life now. I'm a Looney Tooney. Um, and I liked, yeah, Leon Slater, Alec Price and the Maki Ito match versus Becca a lot. What about you? Oh, and the scrambles were fun. Yeah, I enjoyed those. I thought the ending angle was really well done, actually. Where the like the crowd again, they added so much to this where they were going crazy. You know, they did a, a thing where they tried to keep everybody apart, and the crowd was like, "No, like let them fight," uh, pretty much. Uh, Gage obviously had the big promo at the end to set up the War Games match. And, um, yeah, the, that set up the end with, uh, you know, I'll talk about that in a second. Let's talk about the shows. Uh, I definitely thought, to me, the main event of the second show probably was my favorite death match. Even though I didn't think it was as great as maybe I thought it was going to be at the start. <laughs> and I still didn't like, I wish it had been a more definitive finish. But, again, maybe there's more story to that and. And maybe that's just me. So take my criticisms with a grain of salt, everybody. Uh, I will say that right there. Uh, but the second show to me was – I definitely thought the second show was better. Uh, I really – honestly, I thought everything was basically either actively good or like the front match accomplished what it needed to. It was perfect for the context of it. Uh, same thing for the 12-man match. The only thing I thought under-delivered – was the tag title match uh, overall. It wasn't as, as good as it could be, as well as the world title. That was the only match I didn't like uh, on there for the reasons I said earlier. But then you look at Commander, DK, Ito, and Becca really surprised <coughs> me in a good way. I thought Deppin had a much better match th- this night, night instead of night one. On uh, night one, uh, it was a fine show. Again, not as, as bad as I might have feared <laughs> with all the death matches, but... Uh, I thought the night two was a lot better. I, at night one, I enjoyed Slater and Price. Uh, the scramble matches were fun uh, on there as well. And the opener, too, I thought was very effective. Uh, the death matches on night one were all okay, but again, I had issues. And I definitely, if th- they had been spread out among three shows, I think I would have liked all three better. But because they were one after the other, I think that took away from all of them, just just my opinion. Um so yeah, that night two definitely impressed me though. At the end, I was I really liked it actually. By the end, and I gotta say the ending angle came across so well. Mm-hmm. Where I was like actively looking forward to this war games match, and there are some guys that uh, you know I I really wasn't a big fan of, <laughs> pretty much. So you've got uh, uh, you know everybody brawling out again. As I said, uh, Gage did the thing there. Uh, you've got. Uh, Kasai, Takeda, uh, Sasaki, Sugira, and Jack all on Team Freedoms. It's there. crazy. Yeah, I mean, that, that, <laughs> so that's cool. like a, that's a super team of Freedoms Deathmatch people, <laughs> pretty much there. Uh, did they announce who was on the GCW team? Yeah, so Team GCW is Rena, Nick Gage, John Wayne Murdoch, and then Ciclope and Miedo Extremo. Oh, yeah, see, look at that. So, they've so got, I mean... Yeah, all of the best guys pretty much <laughs> in the death match are in this. And War Games, I hope 
I hope it can pay off in a good way because a lot of times you see these war games matches in the modern era, and they aren't that good. Like the stipulation, they, nobody works to it right. I think this. You want to bring back the good old days of the Cage of Death, like in CZW. Oh, and they're like stupid. These War Games matches they do, like someone almost dies each year. They are yeah. – it's like, oh, hey, we're going to put a scaffold on top of the cage and fall off that. So it's – yeah, it's, it's very Cage of Death uh, aligned. <laughs> yes, exactly. So that's what we need. See, if you've seen those matches, that's what I'm looking for. Uh, out of the, this War Games one here. So the ending angle, the announcements, everything, I was like, like I said, when I first started watching these shows, I was afraid I was going to come on here and be like, this sucks so much. And I'm like, why did you make me watch this, Nello? <laughs> uh, and then at the end of it, I thought, you know, this War Games could be kind of hot at the end. It's like, this could be awesome <laughs> at the end. Like, I'm, I'm into this <laughs> going in there. Um, and like I said, most of the second show I liked pretty like straight up pretty much. So, uh, again, it's not anything I would say. There were no five star matches or anything like that, or even like four star matches would be a stretch for for me on like a lot of them. But there was just a lot of good stuff, variety. The crowd was hot. It felt like a unique promotion as well, which I like that it wasn't so homogenized. It's so Everything kind of is <laughs> there, but I thought that it was able to stand on its own two feet, and I thought it was – like, night two especially was a good show. Night one, I like I said, I was, my expectations were low, but I didn't hate night one as much as I thought, and night two I actually kind of liked by the end, and I was kind of interested in war games. So when we get that – we get back to that and we do that again in October when they do these, I'll Ooh. actually be coming in like a, a positive mindset next time. So I think I'm, I'm kind of into it. So good stuff. I got to give GCW, especially night two thumbs up on the homecoming. Yeah, no night two. But, um, like I said, it just felt like it righted a lot of the things that didn't quite click night one. Um, this, yeah, the feud coming out of this is, is a death match fan, pretty much like the super bowl. Um, like this is as <laughs> cool as it gets really. Um, I, I'm, very stoked and i think what i'm uh what i've appreciated about this the most is all of the different ways we've been able to discuss pro wrestling throughout this show um you know because there's so many different ways that the talent and the company approaches it on these shows you know from deathmatch to you know something where like dragon kids stopping commander with uh limb work to the minds of wrestling um, to just characters, everything. So uh, I'm B3. grateful that to be three for life. I'm a Looney Tunie. So yeah, yeah. I would say honestly, recommending any of the death matches. Um, the the crazy scramble from night two, and I would say Becca versus Maki Ito. Yeah, just a surprisingly great match. Yeah, I, <sighs> I agree. I, I would say the main event of night two: Becky and Ito and Commander and. Uh, DK, but also the scramble match is like if you can watch a match without putting logic to it, just watch it for what it is, you will enjoy <laughs> that. If you think about it too hard, you're probably not gonna like it overall, but it's still a lot of fun. Uh, so yeah, I'm very happy to do this, something I wasn't expecting to do at all when uh, you know this show came about, but you've added another flavor. You're like an expert chef right now, you're like Gordon Ramsay style of death matches. Right now. <laughs> 
uh, you're, you're bringing it all here. I love the cool stuff we talked about with the representation too, um, you know, of the LGBTQ plus that they brought into the table here. Uh, that was a lot of cool stuff there, a lot of fun. Uh, really happy that we did it, and I just want to say, hey, uh, thank you once again for giving me this idea and giving taking the time to do it. And if you want to say anything to the folks out there, the spotlight is yours. Uh, oh, shout out Gabe and Carly. They were front row for homecoming uh, both nights. So it looked oh, like they had a blast. Um, and yeah, happy Sumble Burger Farm on Steam. And uh, that's it. <laughs> that's it for me. <laughs> Yeah, send me the link. I'm going to put that up on the Cage Match page when we put put that up on there. Uh, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm an expert advertiser right now. This, <laughs> this, it's in my blood as a, as a wrestler, okay, <laughs> at the end of the day. But, yeah, um, check us out. We'll put all the links on Twitter and stuff. We gotta, um, I'm going to literally – I've got to help my nanny out, my great-grandma out with some medical stuff when we get off the air. But after that, I'm going to make a Wrestle Update uh, X page on there. And we'll do some more stuff uh, as well, talking, some live tweeting, some stuff coming up. All in, we're going to have a review uh, very soon, probably tomorrow as well. So uh, hopefully you guys all enjoy all the cool stuff we're doing on Wrestle Update right now. All of the different styles of wrestling we're talking about, all the different promotions. Uh, follow me at Viva underscore zero. I just want to shout out uh, the 30th is the anniversary of Ray's death. Um, the Joshi wrestler who I named myself after on Twitter, uh, Viva Ray. So big shout outs to her. Uh, rest in peace. And uh, hopefully everybody's doing some good things out there, having some good times, doing all right. I put a thing at the start of the show, but I will say, you know, shout out to uh, Terry Funk, Bray Wyatt. Rest in peace to those two. Um, I did an extended um, talk about Terry Funk in Japan on this. Uh, I was a guest on the Emerald Flow Show. Uh, Voice of Wrestling, me and my friend Gerard, we talked a lot about Terry Funk in Japan uh, there. If you want to hear more about that, uh, lots of history. It would take a million hours to do a show about uh, Terry Funk and all that he did there. But I just want to shout out everybody out there who passed away. Uh, hopefully everybody listening is having some good times in a good headspace. But uh, no matter what, we're always here for you. And we thank you so much for listening. So with that said, as always, you know I love you. And until next time, this has been your Wrestle Update.